first off after reading that little line i will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine this is not a fucking joke anymore this is fucking dead serious i am fucking dead serious these people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with they are in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot but fuck they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of they do not fucking understand no fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood never I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage fuck these motherfuckers Let's uh, let's get this ball rolling, folks. Um, now, of course, obviously the uh, <laughs> the world has been uh, tipped over into uh, lab, quote unquote, league. It, of course, um, by its very definition, would mean origin. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, about that today with Charles, and we'll go over a few of the other recent events as well, and why. We think we need to um, keep focus on the data that is tangible. So with that being said, I'm going to just uh, skip through the intro real quick, and then I'm going to try. Well, I'm running a little bit early, but I'll try getting uh, Commander Rixie on the blower. All right, so um, let's do this. Yeah, okay. And let us do... Oh. Do this. <laughs> oh. The uh, you can't see the little uh, well, you, you can tell it's Epstein in the corner there. <laughs> so, Scooby Dude, you got Epstein. 
Right. Uh, that's the meme for today. If you're wondering in here, um, wondering who I am, my name's Dr. Kevin McCann. I am part of a ragtag that has been screaming at the public for the last three years that they are <laughs> they're screwing with you. You're dealing with a... Uh, you're wrapped up in biowarfare, very likely going into very much uh, shooty, shooty, bang, bang warfare uh, coming up real, real soon uh, at a doorstep near you. And if you want to find out about the uh, research, my background, you can go to ResearchGate, uh, PubMed, uh, the usual. I like ResearchGate, it just aggregates metrics. Um, you, uh, to get into this fight, uh, please go to McCann dojo.com there um, this is how we maintain or i maintain being able to be in this fight and your support makes that possible so uh, if you want to throw a shekel or two at the good doc um it's much much appreciated and the um Oh, you can join the Discord and get uh, emails from that site. You can watch the stream live as well there if you don't want to watch via Big Tech. All right, so uh, where does all that money go? We have our own streaming platform, etc., and uh, all server infrastructure behind it as well. And with that, uh, I will just stick it back to this page. And the uh, I will try calling Commander Rixie and... Let's do this. I should have maybe set up uh, Zoom. Boom. Yo, out. All right, so uh, I'm I'm running about five minutes early. So what I will do is we will take a look at some of the well, some interesting. So what what can we look at? Well, you know, Tucker Carlson is sort of uh, summing things up. Let's let's just dive in there and uh, set the set the tone for the evening. <laughs> but he does a good job of uh, wrapping up. Where where we are and where we came from. Researchers scolded. They did a long open on this show about the Chinese research paper whose authors later disappeared. Now these Chinese scientific researchers scolded the Chinese government. They're lying. We know perfectly well where COVID came from. We've known this for years. In fact, one of the very first things we knew about COVID was that it was an engineered virus that escaped somehow, intentionally or not, from a Chinese military. There's Charles right now. Yo. How are you doing, yeah, bro? Yeah. Yep. You on and get me off the screen. All uh, oh, right. Um, you know what? Uh, for streaming purposes, Zoom is way better, dude. Let's use that. Cause... Yeah, okay. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll call you back. Sorry, fucks. It just... Give me a second. Um, Alright, uh, zoom, zoom, zoom. Just set that up. Uh, whilst it's doing that, I like Biolab in Wuhan. 
It was in early March of 2020, three full years ago, at the very beginning, that we did a long open on this show about the Chinese research paper whose authors later disappeared. Now, these Chinese scientific researchers scolded the Chinese government for the lax safety standards that they said allowed COVID to escape and infect the world. This All right, we are good to rock and roll. All right, can you hear me, bro? Yep, again. Nice. Okay, so I was just playing um, Tucker Carlson, and let's try and do size that chat. Right on you. Okay, let's do that. Um, yeah, so I was just playing Tucker Carlson, and you know, he he was actually sort of doing quite an admirable job of laying out that we. Well, this is obviously in the context of the Department of Energy. I'm presuming it's Lawrence Livermore, right? That have put uh, out this story. Well, Lawrence Livermore, I believe the loss, Elements National Laboratory. But, um, but also Sandia National Laboratories. So ironically, the place where Andrew Huff used to work. So, just throwing that out there. So the um, the issue at hand is that, well, again we've we've got into this space where the idea of um, they're, they're saying lab leak, but lab origin is in the public consciousness, and so I think it very important to grab this moment to be speaking um, about what we what we actually know <laughs> the evidence we have to hand rather than the conjecture that was being put forward by did did you watch the white house press conference at all i did yeah it was it was i watched the white house one i i watched the wall street journal little blip and a couple of news clips that talked about it yeah it was they deflected a lot with uh you know the 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 debate isn't resolved and it's still uh, it's still a contentious issue and we we wish to um hammer home that that is not not the case with what we know at at, at this moment in time so i think what what would be what would be best is if you you start laying out each the timeline of how we how we got here and the data that we have that um that we've known about for a long time and is being skirted around well but i guess the, the timeline or because first of all all of this began, let's see, what is today? Uh, February 27th. So three years ago, more than three years ago. Um, I remember on January 30th of 2020, when Senator Tom Cotton, uh, before the Senate said, you know, uh, this is interesting because the Wuhan lab is right there and they were working on coronaviruses and we shouldn't, uh, we probably shouldn't just like skirt over that. And yet ironically, 
that's exactly what happened. Because not only did no one say anything about that, but instead, behind the scenes, all the scientists worked to, to cover that up. And we now know that unequivocally. I mean, one of the things that I discovered was that Fauci was working with the presidential science advisor, Kelvin Drogemeyer, to hide all of these ties with Wuhan from President Trump's administration. And, and really just, I, I guess I would say, hiding it from anybody who might try to point it out. <laughs> so, and it, it probably didn't help that, or it probably didn't hurt that Trump was president and Fauci didn't like him and he was known as an anti-science president. But the truth of the matter is, is that they understood, holy cow, this is a problem. And they immediately set about trying to cover up anything that they didn't want to have to talk about. Now there's a whole bunch of different things, but the bottom line is, is that they took it seriously from the start and within 48 hours of taking it seriously, they labeled any lab origin as conspiracy theory and then set our social media um, companies uh, basically on the path to blocking any and all communications regarding that. So I, I think it's um, important to get, get in at this early stage for people that just might stroll by accidentally etc um they uh, they took it seriously because this falls into the domain of bio warfare this is this is at the fundamental part of this issue this is where the root of these programs come from this is where the bulk of the money historically has come from and they were going all out to make sure that the public were kept in the dark about that particular facet of this well, <laughs> problem doesn't quite <laughs> quite encapsulate what we're what we're dealing with but uh, well, what they were trying to do you could tell they were trying to walk a tightrope between they wanted to they wanted people to understand that this is incredibly threatening and dangerous, but they didn't want people to think that it was anything other than natural, which is ironic because one of the reasons it would be more dangerous is if it wasn't natural. So right from the very beginning, that dichotomy didn't make any sense. I mean, I have screenshots that I took from a private Facebook group that's just a group of you know, prior, current and former Seaburns, WMD Marines, you know, all ranks. And this was moderated by a retired E9, so 30-year guys in our field. And by the 30th, it was already, it was already clear to everybody in that group. And we were chatting back and forth. Oh, yeah, this, this definitely looks like it could have come from the, the Chinese lab. And of course it would, because our job is to cut through all the bullshit, try to take whatever evidence we can, and then go back to a, a unit commander and say, well, based on the limited evidence that we have, 
this is a threat that we need to take seriously, and here's what we should do uh, to mitigate that threat. And I mean, just openly communicating between us was this fact, okay, well, this is very likely, and we need to look more into this. So it was instantaneous. And to see the, the conversation unfold in public and have it unfold in the exact opposite way, um, obviously being controlled really didn't make any sense because if, if this thing, if this virus really was threatening, well, one of the reasons it would be threatening was because it came from a potential bioweapons lab. And any, and Francis Boyle um, really kind of said it best, in fact, he said it back in January 2020 as well, that these BSO-4 labs, they're, they're basically bioweapons labs because you could do what you needed to do and make therapeutics and make drugs without really spending a bunch of time in a BSL-4 lab. And ironically, um, if it did leak from a lab in Wuhan, there's a decent chance that it didn't even come from the, the BSL-4. So it, they wouldn't even have been using, in that instance, they wouldn't have been using the safe procedures that, that we would expect. So once again, the, the, I know that I remember when Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying went on um, Bill Maher's show in January of 2021. And Bill Maher said, you know, you know, I don't really know that I'd want to take this vaccine because what if it was a bioweapon? I mean, we don't know. I mean, shouldn't we, <laughs> should, shouldn't we need to know if it's a bioweapon because if it is, that'll, that'll probably, that should be playing into how we respond to it. Because I, you know, I wouldn't want to inject myself with a bioweapon if that's what it was. So we need to know one way or another before we go down that roll, that rabbit hole. And guess what? He was right. He was right. And um, it sucks because that was somebody with common sense who was on the left, who was a media figure, and he, he was willing to come out and say the obvious. But he was the only one. So, yeah. It's very, look, it's stunning to me that, yeah, three years in, three years in, and it's still, we're, we're just still starting this conversation about synthetic origins. And, you know, I guess that's something we wanted to get into again is the um, issue around chimeras and their, their nature. but. Um, the 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 critical thing that I see, and this is something that I, not the last time we talked, but but before that, the last stream, so two two streams ago, I think that we we did a stream where we were talking about this um, categorization of SARS in th in this ranking of what militarily right. you would want from a particular agent and where SARS ranked in that. So we, we, just to try to give people a different um, viewpoint in, into this. So um, you, your background being chemical, biological, nuclear warfare in, in the US Marines, <clears throat> where you've got multiple generations talking 
in back channels have said this all looks highly suspect and then we have a literal academic research papers that have well you better explain the importance of these papers because it, the the way that came out and the timing um it's, it's well, it depends quite... on, it depends on which papers you're referring to there's the ranked the ranked the two the two ranking papers uh okay so well first of all just to to kind of reiterate since some people might not be familiar with my background um uh, prior to all of this uh, i spent 15 years in the marine corps as a seabird marine chemical biological radiological and nuclear defense specialist although it was called uh nuclear biological chemical or MBC at the time when I first joined but we changed it to Seaburn because that is what NATO refers to WMD as and so that's kind of important because the NATO framework means that this isn't just something that I was taught or that I taught others this is the framework from which all middle countries up to and including you know however 40 of them or however many there are they all use the same terminology and they all use the same um basic playbook on like how to respond to threats like how we identify a threat how we classify how big a threat is basically um the type of intelligence that you take when you first get evidence of a threat how that gets reported up and then and then how we use that intelligence to then try to mitigate uh, any potential impact towards troops on the ground so all of that lingo is the same and i i didn't just do this i i spent eight years the two different tours working with the department of state as their seaburn chief so as a listed person so it's my job to to train all of the 2000 marine security guards that are 188 embassies and consulates uh, keep them supplied and then if there were any incidents or suspected incidents that involved Seaburn things, then they would respond and then we would go and afterwards we would kind of analyze and, and okay, did you do what you do right here? What did you do wrong here? Okay, what is the actual threat? Or was it a false alarm? And I was there for eight years. I saw a lot of suspected incidents. We never had any real ones, thank God. But if we had, then the public would have heard about it. Because, I mean, just during the time that I was that I was there, we had non-Seaburn incidents that were, you know, Benghazi. We didn't have Marines there in Benghazi, but we had, we were keeping track of it because it wasn't an official station, but they sent in, I want to say Fast Company, and so they sent in a different, um, elements and so we were definitely watching that at the time and it played a big role in diplomatic security before and after I and mean, i was there first i want to say i want to say it was bosnia maybe maybe sarajevo um somewhere in the balkans some one of our embassies was attacked and then in islamabad um uh, several places in the in the middle east damascus across this eight-year span and in between those eight years i spent three years 
as an instructor at the Seaburn School in Fort Leonard, Missouri. And when I first started, it was, well, when I first started becoming a warrant officer instructor, I was teaching Army warrant officers as well as Marine Corps warrant officers. And so once again, at, and at the very end of that, I was, I also rewrote the curriculum for two of the three courses. Uh, well, we wrote one and created one for a brand new course that we're making for staff and CEOs. Uh, basically, my rank, career people who were going back to learn more advanced things. And I had to rewrite them according to these NATO doctrine applications. So I know exactly on the military side what we're supposed to do. I know exactly on the Department of State side what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to react. And with so in that context, to hear military trying to take this seriously, but then see our civilian leaders and our civilian scientists poo-poo the idea and basically turn it into a conspiracy theory was, well, it was disturbing because there's no reason for them to do that. And whether or not we wanted it to come from a lab leak, we have an up. We have an obligation to investigate that so that way, if it did, we need to warn people what, what this virus would be. And instead, what we saw was instead of warning, Dr. Fauci in particular did the opposite. And he did the opposite even the month before anybody else knew. So this new, this new press conference that came out isn't saying anything different than we already knew because based on the evidence, the null hypothesis should have been that it came from a lab. And based on the prior intelligence that we have, there's, we would always assume that, it, that even if it was an accident, that they were working on it until otherwise proven. So I, I don't know, I think, what do I think is happening here? I think that this is a, um, well, they're, they're trying to get ahead of the narrative. This is damage control. And they're trying to, to let out only as much as they think they can get away with, um, which in itself is dangerous because, once again, they're trying to pretend that, oops, this, this leaked from the lab. and. What are they not talking about? They're not talking about the virus itself. And so I think that's what, you know, in our grand analysis, those are some of the big things that they're leaving out. But, um, well, so I kind of threw a lot there, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I agree with you that there's a um, degree of damage control. I, I, I wonder what specifically now triggered this next round of that? And, you know, this, of course, brings us to the countermeasures. And, you know, this is, again, this is language that people have to be understanding these operations in. This isn't civilian realm anymore. And that's why you're hearing words like medical countermeasures. That's that's very much from military doctrine, and I'm just wondering if 
what they're trying to do is because we're seeing sustained all-cause mortality across the board in many, many countries, that by putting this out there, it can deflect from that. So, so I, I actually can see that there's going to be a, a follow onto this, and there's, there's data to sort of back that up already, which is that the CDC has just changed its guidelines with respect to COVID death reporting. So now, if there's a suspicion that it could be a consequence or sequelae from COVID-19 exposure, coroners and morticians, I guess, whoever's doctors who are calling the cause of death, can now, can now mention um, post-acute sequelae for COVID, PASC. And that's a double-edged sword because what, what we're... What the concern is, is that because of the way that medical countermeasures were rolled out the, uh, and the literal forcing of people to be exposed to technologies that were highly experimental and would, in the case of the vaccines, have them express proteins and epitopes of concern that come from the virus itself and with this extended period out it now allows them to mark off these excess deaths as think well you know it was uh it was virus related when we we don't know right so we're we're, we're, we're being left in the dark and in a sense they, they're setting up a another well, another dialectic, right? Because you're going to have groups squabbling over what's causing what, right? Because there's a very um, vocal group who are insisting that everything, everything that we're seeing comes from vaccines, right? And I, I don't want to say otherwise, but I'm. You have to you have to take both halves of the equation into account right now, and I think I think that's why we're. Um, we're seeing them try and sort of preempt in this fashion. And well, I, I think there's there's a couple of things, a couple of other things too, which is one they have Andrew Huff who's come out and is blatantly stating that the CIA was working with Eco Health Alliance, and so they, I know they don't want to talk about that. I know they, there's only so, I believe that there's only so much they can do to prevent this eventual discussion coming out about vaccines and, and the damage that they've caused. So, yes, uh, it's definitely partially because they're trying to get out ahead of that. But I... I also believe it's because they're okay with that because there's so many other things that they don't want to talk about. There's so many other directions. And it, it's interesting because 
when they when they when Twitter was taken over by Musk, and, and so basically it, it's opened up all the people who had been been blocked, and most of them are now able to get back on. They're able to talk. Well, just numerically speaking, most of those people were doctors, and so most of what we've heard about has been okay. The you know, all those problems with the vaccines, etc. But doctors are also the same people who have treated for three years COVID cases. And so the same people who are willing to tell you, like, there was something out there. And there's, there's this big push to try and negate the virus itself and say, well, that, you know, most of the damage is caused by the vaccines. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that's the case. And we don't know. We that's doctors, the, 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 the and we talk to doctors, they don't believe that's the case either. We, and it's important. To be having this, and so you're, you're seeing this, again, multiple pushes, um, you know, like the Alex Jones network. So, of course, Stu Peters is now on there, and, you know, they're, they're aggressively pushing the... The shot is the bio weapon. Where what that what that does is miss the nuance of combinatory agents with pathogen versus follow-on chem bio assault, and that people need to grasp this doctrine. And perhaps you could explain the the basis of. Why, why, why use combinatorial agents? Why not? Why can't they just stick with the pathogen? Well, I would say that this is this is the real problem that they have, which is that they've been able to cover up like so much of the research that, that was done over the years, but. At the same time, they, they've been very proud of the technology, the mRNA technology, and the, and the fact that they were able to very quickly spin it up, spit out a product, and then start the, the whole process to, to test it. And um, the problem is, is that we have a public record of the timelines, and those timelines show that they made the decisions to do these things. They, and they already knew how dangerous the virus was. But they, but they intentionally kept the spike anyway. Now, you would never do that. You would never keep the most dangerous part of the virus. You would always, in fact, when you go back and look through vaccine history, that's what they always do. They take a virus and they do something to it to to deaden it or to whatever they need to do. So that way, when it goes into you, it's not the full-blown virus. This is the, this is the concept of all virus vaccines. In fact, like from the very first inoculation in 1796, I think, when it was like started big scale, Edward Jenner, what he did was he didn't take smallpox. He took cowpox pus and injected that into people because he didn't want to use the actual um, 
smallpox virus itself because he knew, okay, well, you, you put that in somebody, of course they're going to get sick. So he looked around, he saw, I want to say it was like, like nursemaids or whatever. Milk, were milk with cows maids, yeah. Right, yeah. right yeah. milkmaids. And, and he, he saw that they, for whatever reason, when there were, whatever there were outbreaks, they, most of them didn't get sick. And so he reasoned that, well, if they're getting cowpox and it's um, causing, giving them protection against it, then hey, that's a good thing. And so that's how it's always been. And the real problem that the, you know, the, the scientists have is that they had the opportunity, they got the sequence of the virus on January 11th, and very proudly Moderna has talked about the fact that by two days later, January 13th, they'd finished the prototype sequence, or, well, Moderna was working with our government. They were working with the Vaccine Research Center, which is part of the NIAID. It was created by Anthony Fauci to work on HIV vaccines, and later on for vaccines for pan-coronavirus and pan-influenza. And the mRNA platform is the one that they were developing for an event like this. You have a pandemic and this is an emergency. And, and they understood that vaccines for coronaviruses were a dumb idea in the big picture because they would just push evolution. But they didn't say that to people. In fact, they said the opposite. They started claiming that it was something that it wasn't because what it was actually designed for was to vaccinate at-risk people because then you're not vaccinating everybody. You're vaccinating the at-risk ones, and it will protect them, but it won't push the virus to evolve as quickly because it's not everybody, because that would be dumb. And you can go back to, and listen to Tony Fauci explain all of this, 2018, 2017, but he magically forgot that. And after they finished making the vaccine, he decreed that everybody should take it, which they would never have done previous to that. And, you know, so once again, they knew all of that. But even worse than that, when they looked at the virus in January, on January 11th, 2020, Barney Graham, the, you know, Fauci's lieutenant, who was the number two at the Vaccine Research Center, and he was the liaison between the Vaccine Research Center and Moderna. He let, I believe it was, oh man, Jason McClellan, who at that point had already moved on to Baylor, I want to say. So I believe it was Jason McClellan who did the um, code on optimization choices. Like he, he looked at the sequence and he, he just changed a bunch of them the uridine is pseudo-uridine. But the other big thing that they had to do, the other main choice was, according to them, was whether or not to keep the furin cleavicide in there. And what's important to know about this is that, A, they had never done that before. And I've gone back now to 49, because um, I keep going back and seeing if I can find any more. I've now gone through 49 vaccine research prototypes in the previous two decades, and they never retain cleavage site. And as you know, I've gone back and found 
Pfizer's vaccine director in 2014 on camera stating, we would never retain the funiculate site. Talking about a flu vaccine, but for the same reasons, they wouldn't do it here. So they knew unequivocally that this was bad and that they shouldn't do it. And they did it anyway. And then the other half of that giant herd pile, which, which has still never been talked about in the news, is that it doesn't matter. See, this is why it doesn't matter. They've been carrying us along, just throwing us a bone every year or two. But we don't have time for that. Because whether or not it came from nature, they kept the fear and cleavage side in there, which they had never done. And then they didn't tell anybody that it was in there. So I, I just watched a I just watched an appearance by Eddie Holmes on um, Vincent Racanello's uh, Twiv, and I, I want to say it's from like six months ago. You can see for that date, <laughs> right? And Eddie Holmes is talking about you go, hey, we didn't. He's talking about the whole process, and what Eddie Holmes like nobody's ever asked him or thought about is that he, according like from his explanation of it. He didn't find out about the Fearnclebus site until Christian Anderson told him about it on January 31st, which is fine. Maybe he didn't know because his explanation was they didn't look that closely at, at the sequence because he had 45 minutes from the time they got it to the time that he um, uploaded it to Virological. Uh, so I, I'm willing to accept that maybe that's the case. But Regardless of what Eddie Holmes knew, or Christian Anderson knew, Fauci knew about that Fearing Cleavis site three weeks earlier. So nobody has ever bothered to ask, okay, well, if, if Eddie Holmes, if you're saying, what you're saying is true and you didn't know about it until basically February 1st, well, guess what? Fauci did. We know he did. So why didn't he mention that fact? At that meeting, when they were talking to all these scientists from around the world, when they were, when they were, Christian Anderson was, uh, was up in arms. Maybe we should talk to the FBI. Uh, okay. Well, that's it, that's, uh, that's Anthony Fauci knew about that suspicious element. He knew about it three weeks earlier. And so the fact that he said nothing and was saying, "We just want to know the science in that meeting," is completely worthless because he knew it was there. And from the looks of it, he, he might have just been pretending for everybody that he didn't know. Right. But he knew because he already had the sequence of the vaccine decided three weeks earlier. That, wow. And what that means is, is that if, if he actually thought it was natural, which is BS, because in that conference, they're talking about how it doesn't look natural. Okay. So he had already made the decision to keep it in the vaccine three weeks before they started talking about it. That's a crime. Because not only does it have implications for the shot, but it is massive implications for how transmissible the virus is going to be, which is why they were talking about it. Because, because they knew this was the exact manipulation that had been done for years that had caused all the gain-to-function controversy to begin with. So, they decided to keep that 
um, suspicious element that they knew was dangerous. And even after this time, after they had this whole discussion, decided to smother it up, they still kept in the vaccine. So right there, there's two crimes. So even if they didn't make this bioweapon, they knew that it looked like a bioweapon and did nothing anyway. And so, wow. yes, that's, to me, that's enough proof. We can sort out where the virus came from later on, right. but we already have the proof that they made the wrong decision that, that caused millions of deaths unnecessarily. And in addition to tell, I want to just sort of segue, because there was a, a question in the chat. Um, and I want to talk about Robert F. Gary and his role in all this, and also his earlier roles around um, Ebola and how duplicitous this individual is and how, well, literally, there is just suspicion about... It just is. It just is his comportment, his behaviour, and um, that should have been raising red flags. And so, the question—I'll—I'll I'll read the question to you because it might just even be unrelated. But what what I'm hoping it will do is it will bring into the discussion, of course, Remdesivir. But I've got to find it in the chat right now. So, what is the lab on the Congo River? Joint U.S. Army slash CIA. You know, I don't know which one he's referring to. Um, I know that we've we've been involved in a bunch of different labs, but the the Congo, I mean the Congo is. I don't know specifically what he's referring to because that's not really directly connected to West Africa, which is where the Ebola pandemic was in twenty fourteen. Now, since the seventies, since Ebola was first discovered in Zaire. Um, which is more of like in Central Africa. It's like at the same latitude, but it's over about 1,000, 1,500 miles. Um, I don't specifically know of any U.S. Army slash, um, I don't remember what it said, CIA, CIA lab. It's on the Congo River, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I'd be interested to, to learn more about it. Yeah, me too. The, the, um, bottom line, the bottom line is, is that, okay, let's just, okay, if that lab is, exists, um, then it wouldn't surprise me at all that there would be a military and or um, intelligence presence there because they were connected to all of these different lab operations around the world. Why? Because the, the military slash intelligence complex they they still want to investigate biological weapons or potential biological weapons and so their argument would be well we want to be at the forefront of things that are found so that way we know how to defend against them and you know on one hand i can i can say okay well that kind of makes sense but we know from experience that all that does is well, I can, you know something I, is there. I, I can tell you that, that apparently the lab, I don't know what SAIMR is, 
but maybe it was involved in HIV producing it or spreading it. Um, well, it would have to now. That, so that, that, that would be a clandestine. Something that's from the past, or I, I'd have to presume it's from the past. So, I'd, and I, I would presume that would have to be clandestine operation if you're actively producing that agent in this instance. So uh, maybe maybe a topic for another day. So let's let's um, reorientate to um, Robert Robert Gary, who's played a um, important role in this shit show and the and so because I, I think what you can tell people about his behavior prior to Tiles is uh, helps illuminate um, part of the problem that we're facing right now so the um, explain what happened around Tiles the issue with his mentor, and then go uh, to Remdesivir. If you can remember okay, so, in that sequence. Yeah, so Robert Gary was one of the authors of the article Proximal Origin SARS-CoV-2, which was, the final draft was published in March 17th of 2020. And for those that and, don't know, this was the paper that was used to shut you up for anyone that had questions, it is the it was their primary bat <laughs> sledgehammer that they used yes. to um, orchestrate their narrative control. Sorry, I had. So, yes. Yeah, so, so, but I mean, he, he basically said it because what I was going to say is that within 24 hours, Dr. Fauci had started using this paper. Um, you know, like every third word of every press conference that he was at to. And basically as the hammer to say, okay, well, this is here. The science has spoken. This is a natural virus. And there's a billion problems with it. Um, one of them being that it was a letter. It wasn't a scientific research article that had, that had laid out, you know, hypotheses and tested them, etc. It was an opinion article written by five scientists, four of whom had been at this February 1st uh, teleconference with Dr. Fauci. And all of whom, well, let me rephrase, three out of the four that were present there, we have in explicit writing, in detail, in emails, that three out of the four were looking at the evidence and believed wholeheartedly that what the evidence said was that this was, a not, that this was an unnatural virus that there had been evidence of engineering, they were very concerned, which is why they brought this up to Anthony Fauci and to Jeremy Farrar, who called this teleconference on January, or I'm sorry, on February 1st. Now, Robert Gary was one of those authors, and we have him in his emails at this time, on February 2nd, in fact, stating, um, yeah, this doesn't, I don't see how this is accomplished in nature. Um, you know, they, they didn't, like, if, if I was going to do this, this is exactly how I would make it. If I was trying to do this and create this artificial virus, I would, I would use this, I would use this, 
I, I wouldn't use the published backbone. So basically, it shouldn't be surprising that we didn't see this backbone before because you would never do that because that would just be a giant red flag. Well, so the fact that those emails came out is important because in the article that they wrote, they literally wrote the opposite of what they said in private. And when I mean, I mean word for word in most cases. They said in private one thing, and then they said the opposite in this published paper. And this published paper was designed to kill the lab leak theory. And they said, they've said ever since, that no, it wasn't. This was just an article. We were just throwing it out there. But that's bullshit, because the same day that this came out, um, both Christian Anderson and Robert Gary had written ghostwritten articles that were published by the respective institution, being Scripps in Scripps Research in uh, Southern California, and then Robert Gary, Tulane University, basically press releases that said the opposite, that said scientists prove unequivocally that this is that these are natural viruses. So it doesn't matter what they say that the intention of this paper was, their press releases that they published the same day with it show that exactly what it was designed to do. It was designed to kill the lab leak. And so the fact that that I've I've laid out in excruciating detail, I've gone through and shown all these different articles, all these different ways that they were full of shit. And none of that has has made it to the public at large. Because then if they understood that, if they saw all the context, then the public would be like, yeah, this is bullshit. But Robert Gary's uh, tentacles go way deeper than that, because it wasn't just that paper that he wrote. Robert Gary had, in fact, I, I keep going back and I keep finding more evidence from different times, but, but oh, Merrill, Mass, <laughs> Merrill Mass in particular has done a really good job of, of highlighting these disturbing connections. Um, and she had already in 2020 pointed out that, that that Robert Gary, she reminded everybody that, hey, Robert Gary, you know who he is? Well, he got, he was head of a lab in Canima, Sierra Leone in, in 2014, in January of 2014. So a couple of months before the Ebola outbreak began. And in March, I believe, of 2014, he was kicked out of his lab. It, like his Tulane University was kicked out of it. They said, yeah, you, you need to go. And ostensibly the reason was is that they were mishandling um, samples that were being tested for Ebola at the, as it was just beginning to spread. But I, I dare say that that's suspicious at best. And the partner, the other half of, of the, the other organization that was um, pairing up at this lab was Metabiota, uh, run by Nathan Wolf. By the way, who at this time, at this exact same time, was receiving funding funding from Rosemont Seneca, who was Hunter Biden was pairing with Nathan Wolf, etc., and others to fund. They were seed funding money to Meta Biota as it worked with EcoHealth Alliance and other <laughs> CIA front operations. Yes. So yes, uh, CIA front operations is what you need to know. Now, why would they front? Why would USAID 
uh, fund the PREDICT program? Probably because they wanted to learn as much as they could about viruses out there, because that would help them genetically engineer viruses much better. That's the main reason why anybody would want to try and find as many dangerous viruses as they possibly could. And as it just so happens, one of the one of the systems, one of the databases that would take this information specifically for HIV, but also for other viruses, and do massive amounts of, of computing on it to try and figure out what specific epitopes were bad and good, et cetera, were Los Angeles National Laboratories, or Los Alamos National Laboratories, and Sandia National Laboratories. Um, the people who today, as the Department of Energy, or yesterday, released this uh, release saying that, yeah, there's at least a chance that it could be unnatural without releasing any details. And, uh, you know, I, I better know how they're doing that because Sandia National Laboratories is not a true intelligence laboratory. They don't go out and gather intelligence. What they do is they, they analyze data to try and, and create newer and better things like newer and better nuclear weapons, warheads, for instance. And or in the past, they've also spent a lot of time um, crunching the numbers on various epitopes of the HIV virus uh, to learn more about how to make an effective HIV vaccine. In fact, that's how I, I know for a fact fact that they would never use the fear and cleavage site in a vaccine, and they would never use the, the homologous pieces of GP120 that magically appear in SARS-CoV-2, but not the original SARS. Uh, those are from the same section of things that they wouldn't use because they, they don't want them. They don't want your immune system to react to that because it, it could produce bad things instead of good things without getting into the details. So the bottom line is they know what all these different uh, suspicious pieces are because this is exactly what they do is they, they've spent decades. They've spent, I want to say, like half a trillion dollars fighting the AIDS epidemic. And let's just say that 20% of that was research on vaccines, which is conservative. And it's one of, literally, that's the reason that the Vaccine Research Center was created. The same place where, the, where this uh, Moderna vaccine came from, it was created to make an HIV vaccine. And they have utilized all this data from the Department of Energy systems to help craft different prototypes over the years. So they know. They know it's exactly a little, what these things do. Um, just a little tangent, but um, before we'd met, um, I was sort of prowling and chasing down what Judy Mikovits was pushing out there. Um, some of her stuff seems suspect. But anyway, um, as a consequence, I had a stream with James Lyons Wheeler. Wheeler. Really? Yes. Interesting. And at the time, I, I, I was arguing for the signatures being very, very suspect, the um, symptom profiles being... Um, clinically unusual and 
he made he made the claim that he'd spoken to contacts i want to say los alamos at the time and he made the claim that it wasn't synthetic now he was concerned about the epitopes in the vaccines or potential epitopes i mean I, I think he's like he'd even sort of made a public statement maybe it is uh, his state level whatever, whatever state he's in but he, he he was he was adamant at the beginning that SARS origin was non-synthetic and Los Alamos had told him so oh actually I if you look back to the very beginning and I mean second week in February I think of 2020 he he was very early on very concerned about the HIV inserts and he was one of the first people to to write about it and it is true that at some point very quickly after that he kind of backed away but he re, he received a massive amount of backlash when he pointed out that yeah this does not look natural at all um so i, I can't speak to yeah i'll have happened. to i'll have to try and dig that out but but, yeah, but but like if you go back if you go to my my list it's on uh you know on my excel file it's on researchgate um i mean i've gotten his early articles and he had some in early february where he was saying yeah and in fact i want to say that one of the title of one, one of them was something to the effect of um why i'm fairly confident that this is a that this is a lab origin virus interesting and it, it talks about um, so uh, it, it's indicative of the squelching effect that they had at, at a legislative not legislative uh, i don't know what, what, governmental um institutional level to get in and have the have him sort of reverse track at least with me anyway yeah. um, I think, well I, I don't know when you talk to him i want to i want to say it was about was. the march or april of 2020 mm. well, well i can imagine because he was basically alone at the time like there was because zero hedge got kicked off twitter um and so he was fighting the battle all by himself so it wouldn't surprise me at all that he, he kind of walked it back because um, I don't I don't I'd be very interested to talk to him and to know like what the back channel discussion was and who was talking to him because I have no doubt he's actually I read a Substack article from him probably three or four months ago where he was he was back to pointing out some things that he pointed out in early 2020 he was like you know we still haven't talked about this fact because I think he found a, a sample sequence that was a really good precursor for SARS-CoV-2 that was from 2005. And so I'd really like to go back and like learn. Yeah, I would, I would I'd never actually talk to him. I'd love to talk to him because he, he was one of the first, but at the same time, in fact, I'll tell you right now. Here you go. On February 2nd of 2020, moderately strong confirmation of a laboratory origin 
of 2019 Cove. So, so at the so before he talked to you, he was leading the charge here in the United States. Yeah, and I, I can I can remember him sort of speaking publicly, and like I say, I casting my mind back, but him. I remember sort of seeing a news report, et cetera, but then speaking to him like this, he, he, he claimed that Los Alamos said no. Um, well, yeah, it says right here that, okay, update on the, on the 9th, so a week later, um, IPAC has conducted further in-depth studies of the genomic and protein sequences of the 2019 NCOV coronaviruses and the relatives, and have compelling results of a key signature useful for identifying particularly pathogenic coronavirus lineage. Given that we have found the signature, a functional motif fingerprint present in, the, in an HK3 sample from 2005, we believe that this exonerates recombination in the lab as a source of the virus. Oh, there you go. This does not exonerate accidental release. However, we are working to publish our findings. So, so my guess, some people reached out to him and tried Shut to convince up. him Otherwise, uh, and maybe it was just science. Maybe it was threatening. I don't know. But, but he definitely like he lists names, and I've my guess is that Los Alamos would have been the people trying to convince him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. so yeah. So he did. So very early on, he he was against this, or he he was pointing it out, and and but because he was one of the only ones. I mean. I just talked to a um, somebody who wants to who's made one documentary but wants to make another one um, that has a bunch more stuff, including what Drask has done. And I talked to him today as I was driving, and um, he had talked to um, one of the authors of the Pratton et al. paper, so the Indian preprint, and. Even he mentioned something that I'd heard before, which was that the pushback on them was incredibly, incredibly strong. And to the point where, if I remember correctly, maybe they did one more paper, but I wanna say that that the lead author on that paper hasn't published anything else since. And a lot of them haven't because, I mean, they're still scared is what he said is that he had talked to them recently, or at least one of them, and they were still very, very concerned about talking about it. So um, somebody has has sought retribution against them to try to keep them from talking again. In India? In India. I mean, it might, it might not be where the, the threatening voices are coming from, but but they were, they were attacked immediately, and within 48 hours, they'd withdrawn their paper. Yeah, I mean, the sort of storm that it caused at the time was, you know, that's a standout moment. And, you know, it had... Well, of course it is. And guess what? Guess what? That was January 31st, the same day that Bill Gallagher, who was the mentor of Robert Gary, published his paper where he was talking about therapeutics, potential therapeutics mostly. But he was also talking about the fact that those therapeutics would work because they were HIV therapeutics. And the fusion protein, fusion peptide was mostly the same. So um, I don't think it's any shock that 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 was disappeared from the record. But the bottom line is, is that 
And it takes us right back to Robert Gary because he had been involved in the, like African nations have actually, like they believe in the news there that, that Robert Gary and, and or Metabiota, like that they had samples of Ebola Zaire that accidentally leaked and that that's what caused it. Not an outbreak 250 miles to the north of that in the middle of nowhere in, I want to say, Guinea, if I remember correctly. And, and, but in Africa, like if you talk to people in Africa, like on the ground, in the street, that's what they believe. They believe that it was a lab leak. And all the news coverage about that here in the West has said, okay, well, they're just, you know, they, they don't know what they're talking about. And um, it was natural. But I want to explain to people that that outbreak that ultimately killed, what, like 12,000 people or something? I know it affected like 30,000. I would say about 10, I think. 15, I think. Yeah, so because it, it killed like 35, 40% of people infected. And by far the, the largest outbreak ever of, of Ebola. Which, incidentally, uh, Spain reported a case yesterday. Really? Yeah. Uh, in Af like in Africa or in no 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 in their country yeah well that's interesting yeah let me just um, see if I, I hope I grab yeah it. it's it's not endemic it's not endemic to Spain no so. no no so we we have to presume it, we, that yeah we, wow yeah. that's cute yeah uh, it's look people have to wrap their mind around this concept of well, biowarfare, psychological warfare, all these tools that are being deployed right now, and you've you've got to well, we've 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 had demonstrable proof of the authorities actively working against what would be under any normal conditions considered working for the public good. And so, yeah, because once again, they're not working. What you've seen time and time again is them not working to work, work in the best interest. Like when they respond, at, at the same time that they, they were responding in the absolute worst way by making vaccines that retained all the worst parts that were obviously not natural, um, they were covering up the fact that they had been doing all of this research. So in essence, they were protecting themselves instead of protecting us. Yes. And they're still doing it because they're still making bivalent boosters with the same spike protein when they know the only thing they can do is more damage. They're, they're covering up the damage that it has caused. And you know, just calling everything conspiracy. I mean, this is, it's so disgusting because they've always known, they've always known this. I mean, just think, just think nobody in America has ever heard that Africans are pretty confident that they hate. In fact, one of the reasons that Africans probably didn't touch this vaccine is because they already believe that it was Ebola vaccine testing that was being done in 2014, 2013, caused the Ebola epidemic, or at the very least, that there was a lab leak, because Ebola Zaire 
the strain that caused that massive outbreak in West Africa is called Ebola Zaire for a reason. It's because it's from the Virunga, specifically from the Ebola River, on the other side of Zaire. We're talking 2,000 miles away because mm. Africa is a big place. And magically, an outbreak of that had never occurred in West Africa, but it did. And that is the more virulent, that's the worst strain. But it had never made it into the more populated uh, population centers, you know, in Conakry and Lagos, which is 11 million people, which they tried desperately to keep it out of. Um, but Dakar and like all these uh, mid-sized cities in Sierra Leone and, and Senegal and Guinea and, and elsewhere, <laughs> there was no such thing as Ebola Zaire 2,000 miles away, and yet that's what caused it. And nobody knows that. And not after, the, after this consortium uh, was what they called it, like the vaccine, like viral hemorrhagic fever consortium, so this research group, after they were kicked out of the lab at Canima in Sierra Leone, six months later, they were the ones writing the origin paper that was trying to trace it back to this uh, one dead, like five-year-old or something, maybe 10, in some village in the middle of nowhere in Guinea, which like people have gone back and, and said, you know, this doesn't really make any sense because, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But guess what? That lab was receiving all those initial samples. They were kicked out. We don't know what those samples were, so we don't have the data from those samples to be able to trace back anything. And so basically, the people that were kicked out of the country erased their own evidence and then blamed it on a different part of Guinea that was 250 miles away and said that it was a little bit later than it would have been. Like the actual outbreak patterns, people were going, this doesn't make any sense, but it's all been smothered. And Robert Gary was there. And Robert Gary was magically one of the people called up by Fauci uh, in the middle of 2020, in February, February 1st of 2020, to come to be part of the cleanup crew. And you want to know who else had been part of that Ebola cleanup? Christian Anderson. No shit. Christian <laughs> Anderson, no shit. Because, because Christian Anderson's script, scripts group was part of this consortium that was running this lab in Kanima. Mm. In fact, I, I, I haven't been able to verify whether or not Christian Anderson was actually there, but there were people from scripts who were there at the same time. And Christian Anderson was one of the authors of this paper in 2014 when they were covering it up. Wow. Wow. And, you know, this is where Remdemsevir was brought in. And yet, so we, we have to ask ourselves how, how much of those numbers were down to treatment protocols. Well, I mean, Ebola Zaire is pretty... I get it. Deadly it's on its pretty, own. pretty nasty, but I just... Now, the rumor I heard, I, I know that, that Mark could, could say this better, because I've gone back and I've actually looked at a couple thousand pages of, of FOIA emails related to this, but I haven't spent as much time reading the 
the research that was coming out. But what I've heard is that remdesivir was so terrible that it actually it was actually causing more deaths than like the than the than the control group of Ebola patients. So it was slightly worse than just having Ebola itself. So it was bad enough that it was not helping at all. Um, which is of course exactly what we've seen. Same MO with COVID as well. So same pattern, same people, same and again in the context of someone pulled the trigger on on this series of, of weaponization across multiple different domains. So you've got the public health apparatus that was you know it was difficult to sort of discern at the beginning, but with, with hindsight we can see that yeah, it was geared very much towards ramp ramp everything up as crazily as possible. Right. So you get that shock figure into the into the public's mind so that it softens them up for this the secondary component, binary component. And you know that anyone who would try to sort of count this would just say, well, th this is the um, how you would sort of treat this um, situation. Maybe, but we cannot rule out the synchronized attempt to utilize biowarfare agents for a intended purpose and you know whether that whether that's the um acceptance of the technology in general profits etc i think all of these play factors etc in this um equation but these Well, yeah, so someone, someone, ha no one has convinced me that we shouldn't look at it through the uh, biowarfare and biowarfare attack lens or metric in, in the current circumstances, because it's 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 essentially the same phenomenon. It's just how you how one side would label it versus the other, and which which side is closer to the truth, and the fact that we've seen them being so deceptive and have a history. Now, right, going back, uh, well, within recent memory. Um, so, so, so I just pulled up the the report written by the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium, and what's interesting is that basically what they tried to do is throw Metabiota under the bus, which, which <laughs> I. I dare say that uh, the Metabiota was not the only guilty party here. Um, so basically, what it says is, in response to the spread of Ebola virus disease into Sierra Leone, long-standing research partners of the Canima Government Hospital, in collaboration with the Sierra Leone Ministry of Health and Sanitation, quickly mobilized to provide lab and diagnostic support to the hospital. The two partners involved are the Viral Hemorrhagic Fever Consortium, which includes partners from Tulane University, Harvard University, the Broad Institute, Scripps Institute, uh, Demers University, and Corgenics, and then two 
made by Yoda, which includes partners at Global Viral and US AMRID. So we note that we also note that while VHFC support operations, we are not performing diagnostics. Rather, we train and enable local teams to perform diagnostics. Mm, yeah. Uh, blah blah blah. Okay. So basically, so who is there? So not only not only uh, uh, Tulane and Scripps, but also the Broad Institute, which, by the way, is where. <laughs> I don't remember if it's you or somebody else that says Ebola Chan. Me. <laughs> but whoever it is. Okay, it's you. Well, she's called Ebola Chan for a reason. Alina Chan, who is more famous now. Her in V-Star Official Crimes. She wrote, yeah, she wrote a book about the origin of COVID uh, with Matt Ridley recently. Um, but prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, and I believe ever since, she has worked on Ebola uh, various aspects of the Ebola virus and and how it interacts with the body. Again, so but again, using this these synthetic constructs, yeast artificial yes. chromosomes to yes. to be expressing these proteins, and so and I, I, I don't know if I, we spoke about this yeah. earlier or not, but so yesterday when I was briefly covering the fact that that yes, lab origin has come up. Um, in the press again, and I'm I'm reading from an article in the Guardian, which is that it, it, it literally in the first sentence, scientists now believe that the origin of SARS is a lab leak, comma, but it's not weapons related. So they literally have to get that right, right into the first sentence that they're trying to uh, deflect anyone from going and looking at this these programs and this technology from this lens and you can't you can't do it you are okay. scientifically bound to you have to it's the order of priorities that you go down the list and you can't just ignore it in the hope that it goes away well i mean we already mentioned that, that part of the whole partners of this enterprise was us amred so now, what they would say, USAMRID being the Defense Department's research activity looking at infectious diseases. Well, guess what? That's also where um, Stephen Hatfill, who has in recent months been talking about the super antigen uh, within SARS-CoV-2, which the side is part of that motif. Um, so, but super antigens are biological weapons that were stockpiled by the United States from the 50s and the 60s in their actual offensive biological weapon stockpile until we you know, officially stopped doing that in 1969. Now, does anybody on planet Earth believe that we don't, or does believe that our interest in super antigens, or the fact that there is a super antigen toxin motif it's in SARS-CoV-2 on the spike that, by the way, also happens, the furin cleavage site is at one end of this motif. No, that is not a, that is not a um, fluke of nature. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. yeah, that didn't happen. Because once again, this is another aspect of this. It's completely unknown to the public. In fact, to most investigators of the origin 
like they're not they haven't put all this stuff together but but the super the seb toxin motif that's 13 or 14 amino acids long that includes the furin cleavage site which also like so basically half of it looks like it's from hiv from a different sequence so these are not accidental. The fact that all these things are combined in this packet, tightly packed in this one area, and they represent the only differences between SARS and SARS-CoV-2, and all of them, whether it's the, the, the first three HIV inserts that allow this virus to, and we, we now know this, like we, the antibodies being produced include one called 2G12, which by the way is an antibody that is also produced for HIV infection. And specifically, it's related to the dendritic cell, the DC sign receptors that HIV uses to sneak into dendritic cells, which then um, basically they use on the pathway to get to the actual other T cells and infect those. And well, guess what? If you have a super antigen, which its entire, what it tries to do in a bacteria sense is try to piss off your immune system to cause a massive reaction. Well, let's think about this. If you have a furin cleavage site, and then you have a super antigen, and so, and that super antigen, after it's cleaved, it gets the attention of the, of all, like, of a massive amount of your immune system all across T cells and dendritic cells and everything, and that all comes down to like the damaged tissue in the lungs. Well, it's drawing attention to it. And then once it gets there, what does the SARS-CoV-2 virus also have that other viruses don't have? And it has this ability to then infect those cells directly, which that is, so we're talking about, the, this is an exquisite amount of detail and what it means, and this is something that I've also argued elsewhere, what it means is that it creates a situation where you can have, it only takes a few virus particles to get into the lungs to take advantage of all the special lung um, receptors that it, that it can do. And on top of that, once it gets, once a few of them get in there, then they start this massive signaling cascade, which causes T cells to respond which is exactly what you see. You can read a hundred papers now in the literature where people who are going to have severe cases, they know even before they get super severe because they can see the, the size of the T cell response. And if that happens, that means they're almost certainly gonna have pneumonia. They're gonna have massive immune suppression. So whatever comes next, they're gonna have troubles, which is how they know. That's how they're able to identify that um, people are, if, if they already have that, then they're going to have a bad time of it because then their system might get overwhelmed no matter what gets done. And they knew that starting in China in January of 2020. So the fact that all of these epitopes that all of our scientists have been working on for 20 and 30 years, inside and outside of the Defense Department, which by the way, Dr. Fauci has been connected since 2002, directly with all of this. So there's not a chance in Hades they didn't know. And they saw all the data coming out from China. So even if, for some reason, they didn't 
verbatim state that they kept the fear and cleavage out on purpose, which they did, they would have had all this evidence already in February of 2020 that, you know what, they need to do something different with this virus, with the, with the spike protein. They need to mutate the certain parts out that they've always mutated before they make this mRNA shot. Because if it can do this in, in this context, what do you think it's going to do when it gets jabbed into you? It's going to cause damage because it's going to get into places where it shouldn't go, like your immune cells. And what has that done? Not only your immune cells, your neurons, all sorts of stuff. So everything that we talk about, all of these tricks were learned with other viruses. Inter Ebola. Interesting. Mm -hmm. is. Sorry to interrupt. Because what Ebola has, it has a furin cleavage site. So in yeah. interestingly enough, the another data point just for long-term impact that again we, we spoke about this before that you you soften up these the biochem bio warfare attacks are a multi-staged process and you're softening up so you can let quote-unquote opportunistic pathogens sort of come in and start doing more damage to a population especially if you were wanting to um, apply pressure over long periods of time and so you know we've heard lots about increased rsv um, increased uh, strep increased what's the other one that's been making the headlines norovirus and now i want to say two days ago i saw it data has come out in the u.s there's been a massive spike in stds See, right? Right. I think it was chlamydia that I heard about. And so again, you know, this the immune population posture is under under pressure. And you know, this is it it's impossible for me to countenance the idea that these knock on effects haven't been formulated and calculated in to how this type of weaponry would work were it deployed it on a on a large scale which is what what we've seen and of course it has. i'm you know the look there's something wrong right now when tucker carlson is speaking about lab origins and he's turning to Li Men Yang bless her heart for you know speaking out and you know whatever you want to make of her networks etc you know she did put her head above the parapet with respect to lab origins but there's something wrong when Tucker Carlson is on his sort of major segment going to her and not you right now Li Men Yang's description of the phenomenon that we're dealing with is limited in scope and we we have to get into a position where um this the and the problem is is it's a long process to get get to all these details even just covering skipping over the timeline as it were which is what we 
we, we sort of set out to do. It's a long, detailed, multifactorial um, series of events that you have to tie together. And um, yeah, I've, I think, of course, we can point to Wuhan and China as something occurring there. I, I don't Obviously. think I don't think yeah. we'd ever know the full scope of this. Um, but the tie-ins to the to our institutes, I say our I, I Western U.S. Um, and I, I don't I don't think it's fair to just dump all this on the U.S. either. There's m multiple countries that have been no, Jeremy Farrar and the Wilkin Trust is not American. No, and he is one of the top. He's he's like Fauci. He's one of the top funders of biotech, biomedical research in the world. And but, but that's what is important is that it's hard. The problem isn't that there's not enough evidence. We have way enough evidence, at the very least, to be holding hearings on all of these different things. And the problem is encapsulating all of the nastiness down into into just a simple a simple document because and, and I mean that's that's kind of I guess be a good way to close it eventually is just 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 to read through the two pages that I've written of the conclusions that I've been able to make based upon the evidence that I've seen that um, that. Well, as a matter of fact, I, w I will be um, like discussing under oath in an affidavit very soon as part of our, you know, kind of like the next step of our 10 letters campaign that, that, that Dr. Fleming has been doing. Um, but each one of those conclusions is the result of massive amounts of research. So, in fact, I would say only one or two of them are even, um, have any conjecture at all. I would say that the aerosol, the argument about aerosol is, is more conjecture, but um, even if that's not the reason why they put all these things together, um, that what we're seeing, we're seeing the results of something that obviously is. So, I'm, I'm, sh I'm discussing something that is real. I may not have the exact reason why we see what we see now today, but I've, I've come up with a plausible explanation for it. And it, it's all based on evidence. And, but that two pages has taken me, it took me. You had enough? Before. So. And there's at least 800 research papers that I've read to come to the point where I'm making those conclusions. So the bottom line is that, yes, it is a lot. But at this point, like I just made that document because I want people to, to at least hear, like, okay, in, in, in a single sentence, okay, this is what I believe, this is what the evidence says about X, Y, and Z. Because, and I'm willing to swear, like, you know, on the Bible to it, because I've done the research, and I'm, and I'm incredibly disappointed that 
that those have been overshadowed by self-inflicted wounds. Yeah. But, but they really have. Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, we could literally go on all night about this. Well, we could go on forever. Um, because I literally, when I've been talking about this Ebola virus stuff, we didn't even talk about the, you know, the, the prison experiments in the 80s and how they could connect to the Gulf War syndrome from the 90s. But the bottom line is, is they knew in the 80s that the HIV, that when you put pieces of HIV virus, especially GP120 and other things, it causes immune suppression. And so all these um, uh, diseases and things were popping up in Huntsville, Texas. Well, guess what? I would dare say that's exactly what's happening now, except more efficiently, because back then they were just throwing random pieces of things together. And now we, we have much more precise pieces of HIV being put into a different virus and able to produce the same basic effect. Yeah, and, but the evidence is already there. And, and this, this brings us to, uh, I guess, the, the, the technology at hand, which is what people were screaming about at the beginning, at the recombinant technologies that Barrick had sort of pioneered around coronaviruses, and these self-inflicted wounds are specifically what Jay has been trying to um, track around um, now amply boosted by Sasha Laprovia and uh, I put on that particular shit list right now. Um, oh, there was there was one other. Oh, uh, I mean, it 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 skips my mind. But the the point being that um, the idea that you can we now have these technologies where you can piece by piece start putting in your target epitopes and they become self-limiting because you you think that there's a default resting mode for the background of the corona virus swarm um i just it doesn't seem to be apparent to me that that would be the case looking at the literature working from first principles and you know we've gone through this um before perhaps we should do it again just talking about swarm um dynamics and, uh, well I, I don't want to spend a lot of time because um we've brought it up many times and it's never been addressed which seems like a, a big problem because um that's the scientific record that we're going back and looking through. And um, basically, I mean, it, it took me six hours to find several references, and I spent more time, but it didn't take me long at all to, when I started digging, because I wanted to learn more. Okay, maybe I just don't know enough about the quasi-species swarm, or maybe I just don't know enough about the replication competence of coronaviruses. And well, what I found was is that we did actually have evidence that showed that A, coronaviruses, well, from the same video where uh, Philip Dormitzer says they would never put fear in a cleavage site in a vaccine, 
um, like 10 minutes earlier, uh, Mark Dennison, who worked for, who co-wrote papers about this with Ralph Barrick, who was also sitting right there, at the same conference in the same video, they're talking about the exonuclease, NSP-14, from MERS and from SARS, which um, is only in coronaviruses, and what it does is it, it produces much more accurate um, copying whenever it creates new virions, which by definition reduces the statistical probability of running into the problems that Jay talks about, or at least one of the problems he talks about. Um, and this exonuclease, they, they, they tested it by taking it out of certain coronaviruses, and when they did, um, they were not replication competent because it was too, they, what they created wasn't stable, it, created, it was mutating too much, and so it wasn't able to, to produce a stable infection. And so my thought was, is, well, first of all, um, what, I, what I know is, is that Jay and other people have, have looked at the, they were introduced just like I was to this concept of quasi-species by Dan Sorokin's piece that he wrote about it on April 1st of 2021. And I still know it. I still know the day it came out because I really liked it. I talked to Dan about it at the time, um, but the fact that I, I mean, it was just, it was an important concept that needed to be added in there. However, in that article, his, the evidence he's pulling from, he, he uses dengue fever as, as the primary um, framework for this. And dengue fever is a completely different virus with completely different dynamics that don't match what we're seeing with the coronavirus. Now, he talked about ADE, so antibody-dependent enhancement. He talked about the problems associated with, they would, they would do a vaccine of, of one of the four strains, but the, but the swarm was amorphous enough that it was able, if you saw the virus again after getting that vaccine, it could move around it and just make it an even worse infection. And that is very true, but this is not dengue fever. This isn't even the same type of virus. This is a coronavirus. And when people have sequenced, they've gone to sick patients and they've sequenced the coronavirus, even when they've sequenced the same patient who had a suppressed immune system and they sequenced them, you know, three months later. Yes, there was a lot of, uh, there was a shifting, there was a mutation within it, but it's still much less than, it was still a much more stable virus than what has been seen with, with dengue fever. So, and so, so, right, so right off the bat, that's two out of the three big pieces of his argument. And the only other one is that there, the number of replication competent um, virions that's produced in each successive generation. But if you'd read the literature, what you've seen is that just based on the quasi-species dynamics, the odds of any other mutation arising, um, it requires a certain uh, proportion of, of, of this swarm to have this new mutation for it to take hold, even if it is evolutionarily um, 
positive. And so let's, let's say that this one mutation made this virus way, way worse and way more able to do whatever it was. Well, it's still not gonna take over the, the position of the master sequence if it, it can't gain a, a foothold, enough of a foothold. It'll just be lost in the noise. And what it, inside these articles that I was reading, it, it pointed out that um, this makes sense because if you have something, if you, if you have a virus that already has a bunch of um, mutations that make it, uh, it, so it can only get so much better in infecting humans, then there's no reason to, for, to assume that it's going to just magically lose all of these and return to some crappy previous state. Because if that was the case, then there would be no sub, there would be no clades, no subgenuses. There wouldn't be all these different, there wouldn't be sarbecoviruses separate from other beta coronaviruses in the first place. And there obviously is. And they, they're able to maintain these individual subgenus swarms in nature. So there's a whole host of reasons and actual epidemiological evidence that shows that what we're seeing is actually real. Now we may not understand all the, the, the different little pieces behind it, but when it comes down to sequencing these viruses and looking at them, what we see is whether these are natural or whether they're infectious clones, they're able to retain a certain, they're able to maintain a pandemic. Now, that doesn't mean that the same virus that was from three years ago is still doing that now because, well, first of all, that virus is extinct. So that's not even a question. So whether it started out as natural or not, we've seen different variants take hold. Omicron probably is also unnatural, and we have our different opinions about like how, what that means. But the bottom line is, is that they could have released multiple different variants. But at the end of the day, what we have is a virus that is able to sustain transmission. It's able to sustain aerosol transmission, especially the first year and a half through Delta. And well, guess what? Aerosol transmission is the wet dream of bioweapons engineers. Why? Because it takes a lot less virus to cause an infection when it goes into the lungs than if it goes through other places. Through, for a bunch of different reasons, but it doesn't have to go through to hit the main part of the immune system. It's in your nostrils or in your skin or whatever else. It can go right into your lungs. So it's much more efficient. And if it, ha if it can do that, then it doesn't have a lot of competition because almost no other virus can do that as effectively right. as SARS-CoV-2 can. Uh, this is... Well, it's, it's frustrating because, like I say, in, in my opinion, we, we're getting dragged down to this very, very dark alley right now. And you're getting this um, distraction. And it's not, it's not something that's just, you know, constrained and reified academic discussion or something it's not it's being boosted across things like stu peters and and 
what what it does is it helps it provides an interference for those that would yeah want to want to sort of slip off into the shadows were they responsible for this cascade of events that we've been witnessed and i would again I, you know i'm i'm very you know coming from academic circles you know i i would like to think that there would be academic freedom to postulate whatever you want but um you know you at what at what point do you say there's a this isn't the right time to be throwing out this this type of thinking when it's one it lacks sort of scientific legs to be moving forward and we're we're at a point where the the consequences of not being fully ready and the correct defensive posture to um take into account what is ongoing it's 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 incredibly frustrating to to watch in well, it's frustrating well think about why it's frustrating for me is because i'm not a scientist so i mean that's been used against me but i'm not a degreed scientist it's true however the fact that without too much additional effort since i'm already reading so much stuff i was able to come across like i wanted to know the answers to these questions so i did the research i went digging into the literature which prior to 2020 i had never done in my life ever i mean unless it was ancient history literature uh, you know so i'm very disappointed because a there are scientists who are promoting this without or as if that they had the answers and that these were the answers but either having ignored the literature or read it and intentionally not discussed the problems that might come up with their theory, I don't know what the reason is. My assumption is that it was just ignored. But the fact that a, a non-scientist is having to bring this to the attention and no other scientists have bothered to look at the literature, or at least at this specific literature. Because what I have seen is I've seen doctors who've who've talked about this and said, yes, this doesn't really make sense, given what we've seen in the, in the, in the evidence. And I've seen um, people like Kevin McKernan, who's, who's invented sequencing machines. And so he said, OK, well, hold on here, because the sequencing doesn't quite, you're, you're framing it the wrong way. But I've not seen a lot of other scientists come out and just ask these questions. And it shouldn't just be me. It, it shouldn't even be up to to you. I mean, you're you're a neuroscientist. You're from a different scope, and you have your own perfectly good arguments that you have researched to get to this point. But 
I'm sitting here watching, you know, massive numbers of people being told that something is the truth when it's not. It's just a hypothesis that has a lot of holes. And it's just been a distraction because if I could spend the amount of time that I spent and come up with um, some questions when this isn't the main thing that I want to be researching, um, it's, I don't know, it's just very frustrating because these things should have been addressed before it ever got to this point. And I, I don't appreciate when scientists give a pretense that something is more um, solid than it is. Because instead, it's, it's just caused damage. It's, it's caused us to waste time. Yeah, it's the wasting of time that's the most um, uh, irritating aspect to this because, uh, well, you know, the metal is going to meet meat. It already is on a scale we haven't seen for a long, long time. And I, I think we're getting pulled inexorably into that direction. The more we allow these um, poisoned institutes and individuals to be able to manipulate the, the current situation. Uh, They're eating us up. They're eating us up because it's, it's just delaying the time to which they will be held accountable. And I'm sorry, I'm tired of Robert Gary and Christian Anderson and and Fauci, um, who have known that they were intentionally working to distract people, to lie about things. I mean, literally, nobody still has ever asked of any of these people, why did they retain the Fearing Cleavage site? When if they did, if the public understood what that means, then I would imagine we'd be a lot further along because that is literal proof that A, they knew something was bad and they kept it in the vaccine, and they're still putting it in the bivalent vaccines, which they've never answered for. They didn't even bother to explain to the FDA why they were doing it. You, you, you could watch their eight hours of, of coverage. The FDA didn't ask and they didn't say, like, like why, why are we doing this? But it was the most obvious question. But they didn't even ask it back in 2020. But so not only did they put it in there, and they've left this poisonous piece in there that allows the vaccine or the virus to do bad things to our immune systems. But on top of that, they didn't even warn the public that it was in there, which also meant that this virus was highly transmissible. And they knew it before it was even announced that it was transmissible at all. So I don't know about you, but what, and this, this affected me because I was on a plane going back and forth from Prague in March of 2017 or of 2020. And so I was one of the people infected by this virus because they didn't tell anybody. And so even after we discovered that it was transmissible, they didn't tell anybody that it was aerosol transmissible. Well, until April of 2020. And in fact, you want to know who's an author on a paper 
preprint came out in April 2020, I think published like in September, Robert Gary, <laughs> pointing out that this was an aerosol virus, which is interesting because in Proximal Origin, released a couple of weeks earlier, they said, well, the fear of COVID site, it had to be natural. And they still, not even in the Proximal Origin did they, did they say, hey, guess what? Hey, doctors and nurses, maybe you do need those N95 masks. Because we were, there are pictures from March of 2020 in New York City where doctors and nurses are wearing trash bags because they ran out of PPE. And for a while in February and early March, they didn't even have masks. And when they did have masks, they didn't have enough. And so they were having, like, they were dipping them in, in like, antiseptic solution and wearing them for weeks at a time. For weeks at a time. And you know what they should have been told? They should have been told, this is an aerosolized virus. And um, so you need to limit your exposure, to limit the amount of time. Because guess what? How many doctors and nurses died because they were exposed to massive amounts of spike protein? Um, because they did, because Dr. Fauci didn't want to admit it. Well, because yeah. he did. Because they let it spread for two months, basically around the world. So they, they hid it and allowed it to spread. And then once it had spread all across the world, then they called, they called for the lockdowns. Once, once they could scare people bad enough because it had spread far enough, that's when they called for lockdowns. So if you knew nothing else about the entire pandemic, but you understood the decisions made about the fear and cleavage site, that is enough right there to say bullshit and to say these people need to go to prison and you go to Nuremberg, whatever, because what they did was a crime against humanity. And, and, and that is only these... one, that's only one of the 17 conclusions. Oh, do you, do you want to bring them up on, do you have them on screen? Do you want to bring them up and we'll just blast through them? Yeah, we could. Yeah, it's just, we need to go through this because we can't do this forever. So I got, I got more traveling to do tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I was almost, I was working on bringing them up. Oh, no, hang on. <clears throat> you might you need to out. make it. Okay. Let me get to my, trying to find them on Twitter. So just while Charles is getting this ready, folks, everything else is bum fluffery, as we say down my way. It's it's incidental right now to, I don't know, mission success. You're, you've got to get through what's coming. What was, not what's coming, what's already happening right now. And, you know, Things like changing def uh, definitions for autopsy reports, etc., means that it's enough of an issue that they're making changes. Um, I would be, I would be very, very circumspect of those engaging in sophistry right now. Boom! There we go. So literally, it's just these uh, these two pages. Let's see. 
and uh, it's not complicated, but the important thing here is that I have massive amounts of evidence that can support each one of these conclusions to the point that, and as we stated earlier, that I will attest to these under oath very shortly. And so, so like just in the light of everything that we've talked about today, and just in light of this, this all these little trickle pieces of news that keep coming out, like this press conference and stuff that they had, think about th that versus this, because I, I have more evidence that's already published to support these conclusions than what the Department of Energy offered, which is basically nothing. It just leaked that they were thinking, okay, well, maybe it looks right. like, like it could be in the lab. Bit of hearsay, bit of uh, water, water cooler gossip. <laughs> yeah, it's pathetic. Um, when it comes time to holding these people accountable, these are the things that you need to keep in mind. And um, what's sad is that we didn't even cover half of these today. But, but yet, I, I feel just as strongly about all of them, even if you've never heard them before in your life. So uh, the first one is uh, that Dr. Fauci and others knew, based upon the suspicious elements of the SARS-CoV-2 genome, that the virus had almost certainly been manipulated. And we've talked about that some today. They knew that such manipulations likely came from pseudovirus and insertion techniques, very similar or very familiar to US and Chinese viral vaccine and therapeutic medical countermeasure programs. So in this case, the Wuhan Institute of Virology knew about a lot of these things. And the Vaccine Research Center, which produced the Moderna vaccine, had created this entire field. So they knew. The February 1st teleconference, hosted by Fauci and Jeremy Farrar, was convened specifically in response to the publication of the Pratham et al. preprint, the Indian paper that talks about HIV inserts, and the growing awareness of the furin cleavage site. They immediately took steps to censor and control public and scientific discussions related to the HIV inserts and FCS, respectively. These actions are more properly viewed as obstruction of justice, which, which is how we should be thinking about this. Yes. Before they were crimes against humanity, they were obstruction of justice, because the only reason to hide these things was not for our safekeeping. It wasn't to better prepare us or prepare doctors. It was to hide the fact that those pieces were well known and had been studied for decades. And they'd been studied in gain-of-function research specifically. So what that meant, <laughs> what that meant is, is that they were hiding vital information that the world needed to know that affected everything else that all of these other conclusions that follow. They were hiding them on purpose to protect themselves 
And because they did that, that led to millions of deaths, millions of cases of long COVID because they refused to admit that these things were tied to long COVID. Ongoing excess death. Three years. Yes. The event, right? So what, what you're seeing now in cancer, in, in Alzheimer's or all these other things, those are all tied to this, to the suppression of these four inserts. Many of the scientists implicated in Fauci's skin and function research, we talked about this, or the pandemic cover-up, were also involved in earlier origin narrative efforts for HIV-1, which we didn't talk about, Gulf War Syndrome, which we didn't talk about, and the 24 ep 2014 Ebola epidemic in West Africa, which includes four of the five authors of the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2. Maybe, maybe so, I, I don't know what your schedule is, but maybe we can just do a HIV one of these tomorrow with Nick. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's well, worth doing. Yeah, I'll have to look at my schedule, but... Um, so yeah, so the same people over and over again who've been covering up various mishaps from scientists involving viruses and vaccines were the same people in January of 2020 who were called upon to do the exact same thing again. And beginning on February 3rd, so two days later, President Trump's science advisor and OSTP director, Kelvin Drogemeyer, worked with Fauci to withhold information about U.S. gain-of-function research ties with the WIV from the Trump administration. And that, that's, some, that's a claim I made literally two years and three days ago, February 25th, 2021. I published my, my first article on Substack, and it was about that. And congressional investigators confirmed that that was true more than a year ago. In fact, a year and a half ago. So that is true. That is a true statement. And you only in the uh, Glenn Beck special that I wrote has Kelvin Drogemeyer's name ever come up. And once again, that's true. He worked with Fauci to hide this information from the President of the United States. This had major implications for both the early response to the pandemic, in terms of the fume cleavage site, ongoing treatment protocols, like the fusion inhibitors never being used, or hydroxychloroquine, which was a known agent against SARS, etc., and the long-term impact on global health, global public health, the HIV inserts, and long COVID, the sequelae, the antibody class switching. So even the class switching that we're seeing from IgG1 or 2, IgG1 and 2, to IgG4, this was big news recently in our circles. Um, they already knew about that, and they already expected it because it's exactly what they've seen in HIV vaccine research. And that's exactly what you would expect if you had a virus that could do the same thing that HIV could do. So. And, and you keep getting exposed to the same epitopes again and again and that's again. That's correct. Right. Get the bivalent booster. Mm. Got to maintain that original Wuhan spike, even though everybody knows it's already extinct. So anyway. Um, See my other uh, streams the last few days for, uh, for why that is.
Right. And, <laughs> and like, I, I, I broke this up into pieces to separate like the, the like the general time frames in which these, these things were important. But the bottom line is, is so once again, after all that, the decision to hide those four inserts, these are just the implications. These are just the damage, the collateral damage that was caused from suppression of that to protect themselves. So Dr. Fauci and the VRC with Moderna finished their vaccine prototype on 1-13-2020 and knew of the furin cleavage site one week before human-to-human transmission was announced by China. Thus, they knew that the virus was infectious enough to cause a pandemic, yet took steps to suppress that information for two months until they could control the narrative via the Proximal Origin paper. That 2-1 teleconference, just the attendees, there were 12, and half of them didn't write anything, but just the attendees of the 2-1 teleconference authored 33 papers during the next two months prior to the Proximal Origin paper coming out. 33 papers or articles, whatever. Uh, for those interested Never... in numerology, um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Never mentioning the fear and cleavage site. So that means that the world's leading scientists, Marion Koopman, um, Christian Drosten, uh, Stefan Pullman, Patrick Valance, who was the, Patrick Valance was the official science advisor the UK. to the Prime Minister of England. They were Prime Minister of England who got put into intensive care for a... <laughs> yeah. So, so they authored 33 articles during that two months. I counted. I even have a list, a picture. And you can also, not only do I have the picture, you can go to my Excel file and you can look and click on every single one and read all of them. Available on Charles' account at uh, ResearchGate. Um, can Charles, just ResearchGate forward slash Charles Rixey. It's available yeah. in the Discord um, <laughs> lab lab origin um everything is deferred to that um, yeah so the bottom line is, is is that i have the receipts in other words to to use the popular terminology today because i'm not full of shit. so nothing i'm telling you is fake i've already done the research to get to this point to draw these conclusions and in this particular case i'm referring to uh, right here in the, in the center, the SARS-CoV-2 Origins Research Reference Project, which I believe you can download without even joining ResearchGate. Mm -hmm. It's also like available it's in the public. Discord as well. Did I just say that? Um, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, but I never think about that, but yes. So they've got this everywhere. And like, if you click on it, it one of the tabs has that. Um, Actually, but, just um, yeah. quick sidetrack, just quick thought from you. I wonder if the Adrians, Stevens, and Yuri's, who else was on that paper? There was a fourth author. Uh, the the mares in the HKU backbone. Oh, there's actually more than that, but um, yeah, it's in there. Now the newest one. I, I wonder. Be... I wonder if it's a help, sort of budge the 
needed with respect to these press conferences and the, the like. Probably not, because this is one of the reasons why I, I uh, well, why I approached JC a year ago is because here in the United States, especially, nothing that Dresk was doing was receiving any any airtime, and that, that bothered me because we were still compiling most of the evidence. So, um, but once again, that's what I've been trying to do and it keeps getting distracted. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so once again, I've got that list of 33 papers. Um, then Dr. Found, so these actions enabled the largely unhindered spread. So they knew that it was highly transmissible and could cause a pandemic, but did very little to prevent that pandemic from happening. And they didn't say, they could have said this was pandemic level in January of 2020, but they didn't. And they didn't ultimately say it until March 16th, I believe. I want to, it might've been a little earlier or later, but I want to say that's the date that they actually announced that it was pandemic. Some, somebody can look that up fast, but. Was it that late, really? Yeah, it was, it was like the same week as Proximal Origin. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. No. So, and once again, when Dr. Fauci was saying, yeah, we probably shouldn't close down uh, traffic with China, you know, we probably shouldn't put the travel ban on. Right, right. On January 30th of 2020, he already knew that it was a pandemic level virus. He already knew it had the fear and cleavage site before anybody else, before the, peop the, the people of the 2 one meeting, even. He knew, and he said nothing. And he argued with Trump throughout the week prior, saying, yeah, we shouldn't do it until the very last day. So yeah. So Dr. Fauci, wherever the virus came from, he ensured that there would be a pandemic. And then he led the absolute worst possible uh, response to it intentionally. So I digress. But Dr. Well, Fauci? You're being, uh, you're being kind by saying worst. Um, we could say yeah. what, what seemed like very deliberate moves now in retrospect. Well, I mean, it does look deliberate because it looks like a bioweapon and he allowed that bioweapon to spread and then he didn't change any aspect of the spike protein of the bioweapon and then injected it and urged, well, ultimately, I want to say, at least I want to say that the number of people who got the injection that was mRNA, I've heard a lot of different numbers, but I want to say like 4 billion doses were administered. So I don't, well, I think it might even have been 7 billion by now, but I know that more than 10 billion were actually produced. I just don't know how many of those were actually administered. I'd have to go back and look. But the bottom, let's just say that half of humanity received an mRNA jab. Um, that's concerning because also magically, Pfizer chose to do the exact same thing that uh, Moderna did, or well, that the NIH did. And we still don't even know why that happened because 
by Barney Graham's own words in his, out of his own mouth. He said, I don't even know why Moderna would have gone with this because retaining the, the fear and cleavage site was completely abnormal. And that's the only thing he's ever said about it. And it was in a book. One of the books is written about the vaccine race. Um, so they knew. They knew. Anyway, um, so Dr. Fauci and his VRC's decision to retain the fear and cleavage site within the prototype goes against more than two decades of HIV, flu, RSV, and coronavirus vaccine research. I know this because I went through nearly 60, of which I have a list of 49, once again, in an Excel file on the page, where I, I state the, the construction measures, like the way that they did. Okay, did they retain the fear of site or, did, or not? Did they do various other changes? And guess what? There were only two out of those 49 going back two decades. Um, and I only chose the 49 out of the 60 because those had specific sequences that I, or like they described explicitly what they were looking at, but it was more than that. And there were 49 and there are only two up to the point, because uh, I think eventually Novavax did another one, or maybe Inovio, but there was a third that ended up doing it, but I don't even know if that vaccine made it to market. The bottom line is, well, even uh, even the adenovirus vaccine maintained the full spike protein, as far as I'm aware. Uh, well, but it, not to the effect of because they either um, inactivated it, you know, with formaldehyde or whatever. No, so the the Janssen. Um, which uses that might have been the th that might have been the third one then probably the third. Okay, uh, I'm spacing at the moment because I I was thinking it was a Novio, but the bottom line is is that basically nobody did this, and why did they not do that? Because even if they kept the full spike as the as a shot, which most of them did, they would mutate the furin cleavage site, and you can go through and and that's what what they were doing, and that's what they always did because you never retained it. And so I have that list, and we've already talked about why that's bad. The HIV elements in SARS-CoV-2 are very similar in form and function to current HIV vaccine templates. I, and, I, and I list off various construction methods that are currently being used in HIV vaccines, uh, which are conserved epitopes, uh, mosaic, consensus, multi-clade, etc., except that the Bad parts were retained in this, fear cleavage site, prion-like domains, DC sign receptors, etc. Once again, keeping those things is antithetical to modern vaccine design. So this isn't just me saying these are bad, or Dr. Kevin saying that these are bad. They knew these were bad epitopes. They kept them anyway, despite doing the exact opposite in all of these previous vaccines. So we have a record of them doing the opposite until January of 2020. And nobody has ever asked them why. In fact, Dr. Fauci has gone to great lengths to explain that everything except for the fear and cleavage site is a conspiracy, and, or a conspiracy theory, and 
that the Vilkibitza itself had to be natural, according to the Proximal Origin paper that he commissioned to be written. So, but when you look at all that together, for those and other reasons, the SARS-CoV-2 virus does not appear to be a failed vaccine prototype. Because it looks like the opposite. When you know the science, it looks like the opposite of a vaccine prototype. Very much. And, and I am not a scientist, but that is just, just the way just, that it is. I would just say this. The, um, the maintained excess death that we're seeing very likely is a consequence of surreptitious disease-like mechanisms that we would expect with that list there. Correct. It, it's, we know this. We would expect it. And you Department of Energy, Department of Energy databases are the ones that did all the number crunching for these epitopes to understand that, okay, this thing is bad. This will um, elicit these antibodies or this antibody for an HIV against HIV. So those are the exact computer systems that were used to do that. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they would come out today or that they would hint that they would say that this doesn't look natural. But it also wouldn't surprise me why they didn't say why it looks unnatural. I bet that they know that because they're the ones that have the databases looking at all these epitopes. And I bet they knew that in January 2020. But I digress. Um, We've already talked about aerosol transmission. Um, Dr. Fauci and most global public health officials ignored aerosol transmission, even after the disappearance of the flu, which was the whole, like all the lockdowns and the masks and everything were designed to stop this virus, and they didn't. But they did magically stop the virus in the third week of March 2020. Why? Because the entire world, for the first time in human history, actually followed the recommendations, you know, to wash your hands and wear masks to protect against droplet transmission, which is how the flu spreads. So there's a lot of argument over why the flu disappeared or if it actually disappeared. But I think it's a much easier explanation that it just disappeared. And why? Because, well, because we were using flu measures. So the real question should have been, why weren't we using aerosol transmission measures to stop this virus? Because they knew that it, it was aerosol transmitted. Well, I, by, I, by I, don't, I don't know how you... Well, by April of 2020, they knew. No, I mean, how, how you Not would maintain the posture long enough at a, at a sort of population level against... Uh, highly transmissive aerosol agent it's one thing it's one thing saying a squad of marines it's another saying a city of a million people well you're right it, it is a completely different dynamic set of problems that has to be dealt with and but, but the fact is is that they knew that even if they didn't create the virus they knew it no later than the first week of april which of course they would have known before that before they started publicly making pronouncements. So they knew. And the fact that anybody, 
those scientists should have been the first to say, you know what? Okay, well, where did the flu go? Well, the flu went away because these things worked for the flu. But once again, they never revisited the whole aerosol concept. They never went back and said, oops. And they should have, because that was how it kept spreading. And that is unnatural. Once again, I, I'm certain that part of the reason is because for an aerosol virus that's not measles, to be able to spread like this is unnatural. Of course it is. That's why it was so blatantly obvious. So once again, they didn't want you to think that it was unnatural, so they just didn't treat it like an aerosol virus, which once again, let it spread because obviously they preventing the spread was not what they were trying to do. The lockdowns were, could only be for gaining control or some other nefarious purpose because they weren't, they knew by the, the end of the first wave that they weren't working for, for this, and yet they kept doing them. So there's your proof. That you, parliaments can take that and, and demand accountability because that is blatantly obvious neon signs saying, guess what? You knew this very early on and you kept doing the lockdowns anyway. Why? And yet parliaments haven't done that. I mean, if I, if I, if I was to put myself in their shoes, you know, it's, it's this dynamic, right? The platoon versus the city dynamic. They probably felt that they were needed to maintain the pretense of doing something whilst the promise of the <laughs> the other component of the weapon was <laughs> being, being uh, prepped and you, you if you if you're deploying it as a weapon you want to get as many people into that kill box in the second of course because you want that many people as many people as possible to be primed from an initial infection even if you know they're young and it doesn't do much to them you want there to be an immune response because that will start to inflict more damage the more people that get infected the more damage the vaccine itself will do later on so there's no reason to assume that if they had a nefarious purpose, that, that, that part of the reason why they didn't switch over to aerosol transmission um, uh, measures is because they didn't want to. And that should, that should concern people. Those are the, these are the unanswered questions that we should be thinking about, not, not lab leak. We should be thinking about, okay, this is what happened. This is what they knew. So why did they do this? Because this entire charade will collapse once these questions start getting asked. And then all those other uh, ancillary questions maybe could be addressed. <laughs> Distracting ones at the moment. Like, the best way to get answers to all this is to start with the obvious questions. And that's not what we're doing. So, 
and I'll just run through this quickly because I don't want to do this forever, but basically the bottom line is, is that all of this didn't just affect everything we've talked about. It affected how we treated people. Why? Because Dr. Fauci, he had to sever this HIV connection with SARS-CoV-2. He had to sever this not novel virus. Why? Because he did because then you would know that it wasn't natural. But what that meant is, is that there were HIV um, therapeutics that have since been shown to work very well against SARS-CoV-2. In fact, there's since been shown to work against all coronaviruses and HIV. That the Chinese were working on, that the U.S. knew about, because guess who helped invent this class of drugs? Robert Gary, with his mentor, Bill Gallagher. So the same guy that was covering this up, who covered up the HIV origin, who covered up the Ebola origin, and who was also obviously aware of and knowing of the remdesivir development. So they picked remdesivir and hid the fact that they had promising drugs called fusion inhibitors, an entire class of drugs known as antiretrovirals, that Bill Gallagher, on January 31st, the same day as that Pratt et al. paper, he published an 80-page document in which he listed out the homology between HIV and SARS-CoV-2, and he said, guess what? I bet these fusion inhibitors will work great, and we need to focus on these. Why? Because at the end of like the 79th and 80th page, he talks about vaccines, and he explains why they probably won't work incredibly prescient. He said, we should focus on these because we've already seen some success and these are much more likely to work. And we can get them much faster if we actually do it. And they didn't do it. Instead, Dr. Fauci smothered all of these ties. And in fact, in the Proximal Origin paper, Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, the, I want to say it was the number eight reference on the pre, uh, on like the working draft that was published on February 16th to virological.org, the number eight reference was that paper that Bill Gallagher had written. But for some reason, it was removed from the final draft, the, the version that was seen by 5.7 million people, the one that was used as the proof that this virus was of natural origin. And that's a problem because that means that Robert Gary took the, the argument about the fear and cleavage side being natural, which was originally written by Bill Gallagher in that paper. They took it, put it in the proximal origin, but removed the reference to his paper, which is scientific misconduct. Yes. It's plagiarism. And nobody has ever asked about that, ever. I pointed this out more than a, a year ago. And nobody has ever asked. I mean, I've asked. I've asked Michael Roby. I've asked any of the authors that I'm still connected. I don't even remember like, who I was able to actually ask. But they know. They know that this question is out there. And they know that we have the proof of it. Because I went, and I went to the Internet Archive, and I pulled up the virological.org uh, post, and I pulled up every edit that was made to it. And from the first edit to the 10th, that reference was in there, but in the final draft, 
It came out three weeks later. Nope, wasn't there. So it's not just it's not just like a crime against humanity. It's also scientific misconduct, which is why the Proxima Origin paper should have been retracted a long time ago. It should never have been written. But that scientific misconduct is is tied into this cover-up. And then at the very end, we obviously know that what Luc Montagnier uh, wrote in, he started arguing very early on after this Indian paper came out, he and Jean-Claude Perez, Luc Montagnier being the Nobel Prize winning discoverer of HIV, he said, you know what? These Indian guys are right. And in fact, it's worse because it's not just these four inserts. There's entire segments, several hundred nucleotides long, that are virtually identical to HIV. And he died a year ago, um, um, still with his, these papers not even being allowed to be published in, actual, in normal journals because they could not allow this discussion to take place. A Nobel Prize winner who discovered HIV, they wouldn't publish his papers stating that these inserts inserts were in there. Science is broken, folks. It ain't coming to save the day in this particular instance. Not this field, anyway. I mean, if this isn't enough to tell you that virology is broken, oh, don't worry, I have more. Okay, so we already talked about the class switching that has emerged within vaccine vaccinees who received mRNA, only mRNA, by the way, based COVID-19 vaccinations. And I bet you I know why. You know why? Because only the mRNA can slip directly past the cell wall, past everything, past the blood-brain barrier, so it can go anywhere. So these mRNA shots can do what even HIV couldn't do in terms of being able to enter into places where it shouldn't be and cause damage to immune cells. Um, doo -doo -doo. And the class switching that we're seeing has been known for decades inside HIV research. Um, and we're almost done. Uh, the broad immune suppression, especially amongst the vaccinated, is now fueling exponential rises in early and or fast onset cancers and amyloid degenerative diseases like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, including very famously in Luc Montagnier's last paper before he died, that they were still waiting for somebody to publish at that time. He identified 26 cases of rapid early onset Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, so mad cow disease. Um, I don't remember what the average number is in France. Oh, it's, not, it's, it's exponentially, about one per year. Yeah, it was exponentially greater. And that is less, just in I France. think, actually. Less. Yeah, I don't even think there's a... I mean, in the entire mad cow epidemic scandal that occurred in Britain, in the late 90s and early 2000s they only saw like a couple hundred cases i want to say mm -hmm. yeah it it it's it it's, might be i mean it might be slightly more but we're talking about no i don't i don't think so <laughs> okay well so basically in 3 years or two in 2 years um specifically post vaccination so actually i guess it could only be like a year and a half they saw 26 just in France, and I want to say like three or four of them are in the United States. But that's not all the cases 
of Kusoyakub disease. That's just the ones that they were able to find that yeah, and it's, it's, it's clearly again, tied to vaccination. You have to remember that CJD is like the extreme end of neurodegenerative type exactly. processes. The Alzheimer's and the Parkinson's are um, the primary clinical expression that you would see. That's right. And we have seen those. We've seen exponential increases in the rates. And I want to say it was just a couple of days ago that they just announced the earliest case. I think it was 12. I know there have been 19 previously, but I think this one was 12. A 12-year-old with Alzheimer's. Uh, am I thinking about something? I don't think it was 12. It might have been a 18. And that was in... I know there have been a 19, but, there, but there's been a bunch. There's been multiple pre-20 years old cases now. If you have the links to those, I, I haven't seen them. I'd, I'd have to go back now. But, so we're just going to trust my, my memory. I think I'm correct about the 12-year-old case. So hopefully we check and look. Um, but the bottom line is, is that we'd already had 19-year-old cases which had been the previous, for sure. Of yeah, I know about the 19-year-old, and that, I want to say that was about like a yeah. month, uh, three, four weeks ago. Yeah, Alzheimer's. We're talking about a disease that has never, there's, there's not even, there's, there's no medical literature, there's not even like a name. Well, look, there's, there's familial forms that can express early. And so, right. you know, the, like forties and fifties. No, the, the, the record I think was in the in the twenties. But this guy has come in earlier, but he doesn't have he didn't have any of the um, typical Genetic predisposition. Yeah, yeah. So it was so that's what that's what makes it so unusual. That like I said, there's you know Parkinson's as as well. There there are early onset forms and. Um, <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's it's a concerning signal. Now the question is, does it does it amplify more, or does it sort of settle down from where we're at at the moment? Don't know yet. We don't know, but what we do know already is that it's tied to vaccination, and and that's part of what the ethical skeptic has been doing, and he's not the only one. But we're seeing un equivocal signals across cancers and these neurodegenerative diseases. And there's a perfectly logical reason, which is that furin expression increases, well, well, it, it typically, well, there's actually multiple mechanisms, some that come from being infected with the disease and some that come from being jabbed with the vaccine. They're not all the same. But the bottom line is, is that we are seeing what happens when you suppress immune systems in this way. And the, in the worst cases, we're seeing it's the cancers and the neurodegenerative diseases, which you would only see at the end of life. And now we're seeing massive increases. And I pray to God that is a temporary signal. 
God, yeah, me too, bro. <laughs> I, I, I pray that, our, that in the long term, our immune systems can rebound from this. But right now, the, the problem is, is that what we're seeing is not that. What we're seeing is the opposite because people with so many suppressed immune systems, they're, when they get sick, their viral loads are higher, which then makes it easier for even unjabbed people to, to get sick because it all comes down, it's a question of quantity of, of viral loads and whether, or for bacterial loads. I mean, it's all the same concept. And that's what's happening. So even the people who are not, who didn't get these mRNA jabs are still suffering because it's easier for them to get infected too because of the viral loads being increased in the infected. So it's bad. And, and so just, just to get this done, I mean, because once again, this is, every one of these conclusions is based in massive amounts of research and has a bunch of the literature to back it up. The, one of the only conjectures that I've made, but I believe is pretty strong, is this next one, which is that the combined immune dysregulation effects of furin, DC sign, ENAC, and the SCB-like superantigen motif may also explain how SARS-CoV-2 can spread via aerosol transmission. Why? Because the unprecedented and consecutive overlapping of these pieces exponentially increases the virus's ability to infect human lungs, which is what you would need if you had aerosol transmission. So that's what I believe that the combination of all these things has lowered the threshold of infection to a point where it's made this virus, naturally or not, more infective through the lungs. And given that aerosol transmission of a virus or just any bioweapon is the ultimate dream of bioweaponeers to make it something that can transmit via aerosol naturally so that way it doesn't have to be consistently leaked out as other people have suggested but being able to uh, perpetuate that chain of infection with a biological weapon like this from an aerosol perspective is the absolute and, uh, and for 80 years and induce surreptitious long-term disease mechanisms that are temporarily segregated from the initial exclusion. It's true. That's the other half of this is that, so not only does it transmit the way that you'd want if you were making a weapon, but it, it, it produces short-term, medium-term, and long-term um, sequelae, especially immune suppression. So you're talking about an incredibly effective bioweapon if because when from the perspective of somebody making a bioweapon you can't you can't get away with something that kills 90 percent of the people it infects because there's no plausible deniability there but if you can create something that's highly transmissible that can cause massive overwhelming of hospital systems in the short term and long term um, which is a weakness 
of everybody, and especially in the West, and especially in the United States. Um, I don't know that you could ask for much more than that. And what's concerning, what's concerning is that given all of those things, our response to it has been, uh, specifically Fauci's led response, makes zero sense in retrospect. And so it all comes down to this, which is if the FCS, HIV-like inserts, immune dysregulation, and chimeric viral construction were four, four key features that were described as project goals within the diffuse proposal from 2018 that EcoHealth Alliance submitted to DARPA. In fact, they submitted on March 27th of 2018. So almost exactly, I don't know, five years and, and one month. <clears throat> from this moment in time today. Those four elements were all in there. Neither Dr. Fauci nor the US intelligence community disclosed this proposal in testimony or in the Biden report submitted on August 27th, 2021. When I already knew about it, and so I watched in real time as they lied to the American people. And now why would they cover it up? Well. They covered up what is, in fact, proof of intent. So in a court of law, this would be proof of intent, which is, by the way, the hardest part of the actus reus and mens rea combo that you would need when you're trying to prove somebody guilty of a, committing a crime. The mens rea is the harder portion to prove. But that's what we have, because regardless of anything else that happened in this pandemic, we know that they wanted and submitted this request to produce a virus that looks very much like the one that caused the COVID-19 pandemic. So if nothing else, it's the burden of proof is on them to prove that they did not go through what they, what they stated in writing that they wanted to do. And, and so everything that happens from now on with this whole origin discussion should be centered upon it's the burden of proof falls on them to prove that, that they didn't ultimately do what they said they were going to do. And the fact that they claimed that it wasn't funded isn't good enough. But yeah, they did that work. Not only did they put it in writing and then hide that, um, but then all the evidence that I just listed out all those conclusions, those are still, with the exception of one, those are true for which we have proof. Mm. Proof. And what, why does that matter? Because the decision to hide those four inserts ultimately affected all those other things. Those conclusions indicate that the potential human cost of Dr. Fauci's pandemic decisions to suppress the information about those four inserts. I put may exceed, but it, there's no doubt. I mean, because it either is true or it is not. Um, if it is true, that means that the decision exceeds that of President, the human cost, potential human cost, exceeds that of President Franklin Roosevelt's decision to call for declarations of war against Japan and Germany in World War II, which are the most impactful decisions ever made by an American president 
or an American in general, um, in terms of human. Biden says, hold my beer right now. (laughs) Biden says, hold my beer. Well, unless Biden was part of like, well, he might've been, well, it doesn't really matter. Bottom line is, is that in World War II, those two decisions led to the deaths of 405,399 Americans. And uh, if these things are true, then it doesn't matter who made the virus. Because even before we get to that question, just everything that I've listed out here is enough to mean that Fauci, if these things are correct, and I, I don't see the evidence to suggest otherwise, that means that Fauci's caused the death of more than 405,000 Americans. And I'd say that's a, I would take that bet in a heartbeat. And I don't care, I don't care why, because there is no justification, there's no national security reason that could justify what he did. But the, the press conference that happened today is meaningless. This is what matters. These are the questions that we can answer, that we need, we need to bring these to the American public because we already have evidence. So it's time for them to stop playing pretend, stop deflecting, and answer these questions. I don't think they can. And if they can't, that means that hundreds of thousands of Americans and millions of people have died because at best they were trying to protect themselves. And at worst, well, I, I will leave that to uh, yeah. the history. <laughs> well, they, and what I would what I would add to this was why why we why we have this honed blade, right? Don't don't go sticking stupid excess. I don't know how how could you fuck up a sword, right? By you know make imbalancing it by you know sticking in stupid um, distractions like the trying to argue around the nature of um, viral life cycles. It's not that it's not a interesting academic question. It's superfluous to the job at hand. That's that's the problem we have right now. And you know the, the, the again, this is why I'm just going over this uh, like newer papers that are emerging, etc. It's uh, you know, were this an academic institution that would be your, your job to be doing that but we don't particularly need to be focusing on those details right now time and energy attention people's consciousness needs to be focused on this or these elements right now and you know, the the idea that uh, diffuse um, could be dismissed potentially because there's no um I don't know, chain of custody, digital records. You know what? We've got Lin Fa Wang literally in a 
interview with Ebola Chan, right? Run by Science Magazine, where they're asking about the diffuse proposal. He's one of the authors. He's based he, at... He, he didn't reject any of the, the, the... He didn't say that any part of that wasn't real. Mm. He's part of, uh, I want to say it's Singapore University. Duke that's, University of Singapore. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's at, um, partnered with Duke, right? Um, so I would have to presume that American jurisdiction applies in this particular instance with respect to foyers and his um emails around this submission etc well there's also other parts of this which is first of all they would never leak diffuse because in a court of law <laughs> the fact that it exists and and that darpa has not said it is inaccurate and EcoHealth Alliance has not said it is inaccurate, even a year and a half later. Um, the fact that it exists and, and the fact that it came from somebody who was willing to testify about it and probably, or assumably will testify about it. Um, so he, he can prove the chain of custody to me and I'm willing to testify under oath as to my whole interactions that led to me receiving it. So um, given all of those facts and the fact that what it does is establish intent, it doesn't matter if it was funded or not, because what else have we been doing? Well, I went back and showed that most of the work, if not all the work, could have been done under the existing PREDICT and NIH grants. In fact, the exact same people were in the exact same places doing the work that could easily have resulted in it that didn't require anything except for the aerosolized portion at the end, which I have my own doubts about whether or not that even really mattered. Um, because to create SARS-CoV-2, you didn't need that. You didn't need to aerosolize it for bats with nanoparticles because, as I've stated, the other elements of it can make it aerosolized anyway. So, but even if none of that was true, the fact that it already existed, Congress had already said that it was legitimate, and it was already being used in a whistleblower case and had not been rejected in that whistleblower case, um, is enough to to make it valuable in court, and so this this notion that it could be dismissed for any reason, we would have to go back and prove that all of those things were false before getting to that point. And they can't do that because if they could have, they then they would have. Yeah. Because intent is the hardest thing to prove in a court of law, so they would never have just handed intent to the public not in a billion years. I don't care what anybody says about it. If they do claim otherwise, and they don't know anything about American courts, they just don't. Yeah. So, but once again, even if diffused didn't exist, I didn't even mention it till the end. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so even if it didn't exist, everything else that I just listed out is still true. And still has to be, but where's the evidence against it? So if nothing else, the fact that it wasn't central to this case, but still is supporting evidence, should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. So there you go. There you go, people. That's yeah. the case. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we'll fall on our swords here. Uh, it's it's under enough. Oath. Under oath. Under oath. Under oath. There's, there's enough. And like I said, the, the inanity of pushing, I don't know, like trying to, trying to tease out uh, the causal role of, uh, I don't know, the Robert Malone in having hands in this and um, other other sort of corporate actor types doesn't doesn't really matter at this point. They would they would all just be tools of the same entities, I guess, pushing this and in, in the made this happen. And we, we've we've cut through that. You don't need to add to it right now to hone in and make an impact, <laughs> a, a serious impact that it just blows apart their edifice, right? They're, they're scrambling right now. They're on the back foot. And got to stop indulging cretins. That's what I would say. Stop indulging cretins, even, even if they've hit on something that approximating, I don't know, the correct correct posture with respect to um, medical freedom, etc. If they're not honing in on this and not talking about this, and this is this is just level one, baby. <laughs> okay. We can we can take it to much darker, deeper levels of shit when this all starts cascading. Um, yeah. So, well, in a second, I'll I'll drop a link to the uh, to a, a Twitter thread that that they can share that goes through this a little bit, just because I need people to. I mean, we share, 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 share. <laughs> get it, get it <laughs> out on on anything, any platform. Right, the, the the problem is, I did like even that marine dude, that you know, that big podcast, just not published that stream, right? I don't. Which one? The, 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 when I was trying to get you to come in, um, oh, basically. like the like the Australian guy, uh, British guy, yeah, the Royal Marine, oh, yeah. and <laughs> got. Got to get this. You've got to get the weapons argument down, and you've got to get all elements to it into play. Right? Otherwise, you're you're not going to reach uh, criticality, or you'll you you'll miss if you hyper focus too much on one element or the other. You you need to you need to get the first salvos in and give yourself give, give ourselves beachhead right now 
yeah, well, ultimately, this is how we're going to hold them accountable. At least, we don't have to solve all the problems in the world. All we need for people is to understand that there's clear questions that whose answers are pretty much already known that they can't, they don't have a defense for. Fauci doesn't have a defense for letting this spread. He doesn't have a defense for keeping the fear and cleavage site because he knew exactly what would happen and millions of people, including potentially, you know, myself and, and many others, I mean, I was damaged by the virus, probably the vaccine too, though. And millions of people have problems. Fertility is down 20% around the world. Mm. The world, mm. which is like a, some stupid sigma that it's impossible. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this is like what would happen if a meteor strike hit and somehow affected the genitalia of human beings to the point where 20% of fertility went down in 18 months that's Wait, impossible yeah. you, you nuclear it, winter type scenario of uh yeah i mean what else do you need i mean that's just the vaccine and uh, the fact that they're kicking this can as far as they can i mean it's but, but they have you, to right that that's all there the, that's the, that's the only strategy they have no it's not the only strategy they have the other is to crank up all this other bs that they're pulling into into um, the arena right now, and you know the stupid thing is, is what will happen is that they'll they'll go with, oh yeah, okay, we'll blame China, and then we can step on the gas towards more chaos in the Pacific region. All right, that's, I mean that's all they can do, mm. and they're and they're doing it, which is disturbing because, well, they understand that this is existential. They understand that if, if they don't, if they, they know that they're gone, okay? They, they've played their, they've done their gambit and they have to win because otherwise they're gonna hang. But I'll tell you what, uh, it's time for them to hang because it's either them hanging or they just murder more of us and murder our kids. Yeah. I'm sorry, but in that choice, it's. I think it's time to hold them accountable. Mm. And I don't think that's all that radical. Uh, let's see. Did you see what Houstonic is now claiming? He did a stream yesterday saying that vaccines didn't kill people. Um, I, I think it's a asinine argument because he's going off. Vaccines didn't kill people. Yeah, he's going off this upper limit okay. of. They were expecting two million casualties in whatever the, the period, but um, those numbers I would argue were probably based on the oh, what's his name in London? CL the modeler uh, Nor Norman Fenton? No, Ian. Uh, oh, um, uh, Neil Ferguson. Neil Ferguson. Neil Ferguson. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, um, any, any sort of projected numbers is, um, it's, uh, it's pointless. There's, there's, uh, there's modeling and then there's real data that you have. 
and now, now after the time has passed, you've got your real data. And so, like I say, if we're, deal if we're dealing with a situation like 20% drop in fertility, which seems to be, like I say, as Charles was saying, it seems to be consistent across many, many countries, that compounds with the excess deaths. It takes a big bite out of your population pyramid. What we're going to see that hasn't even manifested yet is, is pretty bad. And the only thing that will limit that is if... Well, fuck me. You know what, dude? Sorry to interrupt you. Sorry to interrupt you. If Mark's saying vaccines, <laughs> vaccines protected people, he may as well just fucking come out and say Remdesivir did as well. Just, just accept accept the, the numbers are as good as they are due to every countermeasure put into place. It's a it's a stupid argument. Well, it, it would be idiotic just based upon the actual data that we're getting from every single source, mm. along with the clinical data from the emergence of all these sort of things that temporally tied directly to the vaccines, as opposed to those things that we see that are temporally tied to the infection itself. And thankfully, having read thousands of articles, it's, it's pretty easy when you actually read it to be able to say, okay, well, yeah, all right, well, that's infection, that's infection, that's vaccine, that's vaccine. Mm. Well, I'd be careful about normal. saying easy. I just, but the, the, okay, uh, yeah. again, yeah. we we get into this space of where they where they want you, or where they would want you, in terms of uh, a bio warfare assault. Okay. Yes, but see, Kevin, remember, remember, there's one conclusion that I didn't put in that list that uh, I also know is true that I've been waiting, you know, to really just kind of lay out there. Because they can and we can, um, given given the right application of technology, we can tell the difference between um, an injury that was caused by the vaccine or caused by the infection, mm. and we've had that ability almost since the beginning. So, so that's a just that's a whole other level to the lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm you know I'm just waiting once again to. To really lay it out there until I have a good platform to do it, but I mean, the audience already knows that that's a bullshit excuse too. And so, and once again, where did I learn that? I learned that from the same place as Diffuse. So either they're both lies, which seems unlikely, given that I can prove that one is happening because I have seventy papers that are supporting those conclusions that were told to me prior to them coming out in papers. So it's not looking good for people who are arguing against the diffuse because I was also given the information to prove that it was false if, if that was the case. And, and I highly doubt that when we start to apply all the technology that we have, that we're going to come to that conclusion. I think we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to learn the magnitude of of this tragedy, of this bioweapons attack, which is why they don't want to tell us about it. Just, just saying. 
Yeah, that, which is why they they're going on the vector they are, bro. It's it's, it's and, almost and, like it's almost like I I say things because I mean them because I can support them, you know. Mm. And just look, thank God there's someone who's mission orientated in this environment right now and literally putting the the energy in the time and the effort um i mean it's the least i could do i was there were in addition to everything that i was trying to do anyway you know i was entrusted with information because it was it was hoped that i would be able to do it justice in the public sphere so i'm not just going to quit because some people want to question it i mean that, that, that's the entire reason why i am i'm willing to swear these things under oath under penalty of perjury so that if i'm lying about anything that i'm saying uh you know i could go to prison because it's a federal offense so i don't care if anybody disagrees i would just ask them to be willing to do the same because very shortly, I will support everything that I just said under oath. And if anybody feels differently, then I, I, I encourage them to come forward and do the same. But if they're not, then I would, I would ask them to question what and why they're doing certain things. Get out of the way. You're in the fucking way. <laughs> I need to... <laughs> Actions speak louder than words, and in this case, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Same, bro. <laughs> um, Just like, yes, by the way, Kevin McCarron is also going to be doing that. So we're not, we're not playing a game here. This isn't, we're not pretending. I mean, and, uh, and and look, man, I'm just, I'm just in there on like one, one row of just what Charles has laid out. Right, it's, um, I, mean, I don't know how much it will count in the end. I, mean, I think, I think the scope of everything, most, most people just can't grasp the, the technical um, descriptions of, of what's going on um, at, the, at that level. People, people will, they can grasp the sort of institutional corruption, I think. And that's that's hopefully where you can grab enough people's attention. Um, but this time is running out, man. And if if people look, if you're listening to this and you've got contacts to larger podcasts and streams, reach out to them. I don't I don't know who they are, and uh, I don't I don't even have a YouTube account, bro. <laughs> it's gone like, I don't keep track of anything and literally everything I do is either keeping up with the discord and the information drop there telegram or twitter that's it that's that's the amount of effort that I can do and then just coming and I don't know trying to attract enough people per day that keeps the sort of I don't know little flame alive of <laughs> angry angry citizens worldwide that want to do something and and not get distracted down stupid stupid BS 
pathways right now? Well, I, I think this concludes our, our, uh, mm. our press conference. Yeah. I, I would like to think that we've, uh, we've provided a little more information than, than what the Department of Energy did. Yes. Uh, probably because they're, kind of, they're also kind of implicated because they knew the science behind a lot of this stuff and said nothing. Yes. Yeah. So, and so that's it, a real story. That's a real story about the lab origin, not lab. Origin. And that's where we, that's where the science really is. And it's, and what they're talking about is three years old now. Yeah. Very much so. All right, bro. Um, if there's anything else you wanted to touch on. No. Uh, what I would suggest is that if there's anybody who can take this and just trim it down towards just the stuff dealing with those with those conclusions, that'd be good. Yeah. yeah just yeah. to like only those, um, you know, it'll cut down on the the questions I get asked about the, the fat Angie stuff and everything. But <laughs> um, which is great and all that good, but um, we do need to get the uh, a bigger audience as much as possible. Plus, until I do like an official one, which I want to do, I want to have at least something that I can post that can be an explanation of what those things mean. Because nobody ever actually reads anything. Mm. Never do. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad. Like my readings, <laughs> I guess sort of abstracts and I'll go into a paper if I'm somewhat required to. But yeah, it's it's there's so much reading it's required to fully get on top of all of this I, i'm dude i'm i'm leaning on your work and expertise here that's pulled all that shit out well whenever i i find stuff i try to i try to do as much digging as i possibly can because i don't know I, i'm just i'm driven I, you know so i won't read like every part of every paper anymore because just can't but i mean if i'll read 75 percent at least like, i want to make sure that i understand the value or not value of something and i also know that almost nobody's going to do what i do so i could do what a lot of people do which is just draw conclusions without reading everything but i i, I want to win so i want to make sure that if I'm putting stuff together that that the evidence matters and that people can't come back through and poke holes in it later on. So I think people are going to be disappointed when they start going through all that shit that I put together and realize that, that I'm actually basing this off of reading the actual literature, not just uh, pulling shit out of my ass. So I, I don't know why, but I'm driven because normally well, I wouldn't spend this much time doing it. You don't uh, got some fighting you do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, ain't go, I, don't know. I ain't going down without uh, trying to try poke them in the eye at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I went quiet in the last few months, but uh, what I want people to understand is it's not because I, you know, I was ashamed about being a failure for children's self-defense, um, because I wasn't, because I knew the truth. I, I knew the situation behind it, and I wanted to make sure it was more important to me to take my time and get everything right 
and try to defend myself against somebody who's defaming me. So I knew that the truth would come out, and it will. And this is more important. You know, I, I was proud to, to help, to assist in various efforts for RFK in this fight. Um, but you know what? People got in the way of that, and so be it. But I refused to let that get in the way of the ultimate goal. But you know what, I, dude? I, I have no doubt that RFK in the end will understand, or or whoever our overlords are, or, you know, whoever's innocent in all this. Um, but it, it, it made you hone this shit down into what we just read through. Yeah. Right. Which, by the way, was the actual goal in all this. It's not to write a book. It's not to. It's not to solve one problem. It's not to solve one facet of this. We need to bring all this out in the open. We need to hold as much of these people accountable as possible, and we need the people to understand the truth of how they've been butt fucked. Because it's not just the vaccines. The vaccines are terrible. Don't get me wrong; they are absolutely terrible. But it's, it's not just it's, it's understanding every component that goes into the weapon system. Weapon system, I would say. Which which they understood. Yeah. Yeah. And then they poisoned you mm. and your children and your parents. And potentially and your, your future progeny as well. And they let it happen. Mm. Because, of course, their other wet dream is to make it to where they can use this to edit genes. Yeah. So this is, this is kind of like a, an experiment, just missing the reverse transcriptase. But what they really want to do is use this to make perfect humans. And they want to use this on themselves, not you, of course. But yeah. they have no problem experimenting on us. You think you're getting through, Lickspittle? Hmm? You ain't getting through, man. Right, you stop them now, or they just, they'll, they'll railroad right over the top of you. Not well, think they twice. They don't understand. Like, JC, if he, if he actually read... The history behind all these things because he mentioned for instance harold varmus in his stream yesterday i think and one of them and well harold varmus is a name that should be mentioned because he discovered oncogenes it's true and he was also working with francis crick and james watson and they were also hev heavily involved in the human genome project and Harold Varmus, when James Watson became the head of the Human Genome Project, Harold Varmus, by the way, was the head of the NIH in the 90s, after being the head of the... Uh, uh, I wonder if he was taking trips to Gal Galveston? Uh, well, to somewhere, to, to, yeah, basically near Houston. I don't know, but we know James Watson was. Yeah. And Harold Varmus was a Nobel Prize winner. And right after he won the Nobel Prize, he became NIH director. And after he retired from that, he later was asked by Obama to take over the National Cancer Institute. It's like a retirement to a demotion kind of thing. And he was also there when Francis Collins got there. You know what Francis Collins did? He led the Human Genome Project. So what do we really have going on? We have the Human Genome Project being the centerpiece 
of our scientific endeavor, even after it's done. And that's being mixed with all this bioweapons research. So I'm not a scientist, but um, it looks to me like they don't care about us. And they don't care about expending as many people as they need to, to figure out what they want to figure out. And, uh, it's, 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 it's a psychopathy you're dealing with. They'll, they'll never, we probably won't be able to expose all of that. Um, because at the end of the day, all of this has been about learning as much data, getting as much understanding of the human genome. And some of it went to weapons and some of it is going to... Yeah, the, um, the, the weapon component was a yes. means to an end, right? And I, I, guess, I yeah. guess that means to an end can be summarized in one word, um, eugenics. Eugenics? The, well, yes, because if you... If you have the power to create viruses that can explode cancer and all these other things, well, then you obviously have the antidote. You, you would, because you're you working would. on that at the same time. And if nothing else, the, the epigenetic signatures would at least allow us to learn so much more and be able to stop progression of those cancers but they've not given us that technology. And the fact that they've not given that to us, at the same time they're doing all of this. Is they're putting you into your 15 minute kill box. It's a giant kill box. Mm. And they may not have all the answers, but they do know how to diagnose it a lot earlier than they're letting on. So, so yeah. So th there's a lot of things we have to figure out. But I believe that if we get the public, the global public, to understand the bigger lie, then we'll then we'll eventually get down to those other things. But we got it. We have to start. Can't get that first sure black pill, indeed. <laughs> that's the yeah. that's the thing. Um, strap them down. IV IV those black pills somehow. Um, Yeah, I, I started talking about it uh, before I wanted to on purpose because uh, <clears throat> I don't want them to have any more reasons to kill me. <laughs> mm. I, I'd rather just start getting this stuff out in the open mm -hmm. to the point where they can't stop yeah, it. Yeah, that's uh, the best defense in this situation. Um, yeah. Then there's, a, there's a, enough eyes on you right now that... Um, <clears throat> He should be uh, cosseting you in the. You need a comfy chair and a cozy blanket, bro. Home <laughs> <And>, uh, guards. <laughs> well, like I said, like I said before, uh, they fucked with the wrong marine. <laughs> nice. So, mm. you know, now granted, I don't want to die, but but at least at least we're starting to get this out now, and I think. Ultimately, it will. Ultimately, it can change the world for better. Or, or, uh, or at least put a massive dent in what they're doing. That they'll, <laughs> they'll just think twice. All we have, all we have to do, 
to start asking questions. All we have to do is start is spread this around so that more and more people understand it. This is, because, this is the easy part, folks. If, this is easy. If we don't do it now, what comes afterwards? Amount of bitching and convention I see right now from people. Yeah, you, you ain't making it. No way, no how. Um, I mean, I. So like, so I got I got a text from, well, from um, God, Andrew Huff earlier today, and and you know he's 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 now kind of much more in the spotlight and getting things done, and he's drawing attention to what's going on, and and, and he. He's optimistic, and he was asking me, you know, like, okay, well, like, have you ever thought about like what you want, like, like when we win, when we finally win, like, have you thought about like what you'd want or want to see or something? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I have, I have literally never thought about. No, you don't. It's, it's just, it's just. I don't care because we're not like I don't. We're not one at that point. I, I've never spent one moment. You're daydreaming. You're not paying attention to the situation in that case, and you'll get smacked upside of the head with something. That's I mean, the rules. Maybe he sees something from where he sits that makes him feel mm. optimistic, but uh, uh, I'm not ready yet to be super optimistic. I know that uh, we're not there yet, and until we are... Too much shit to plow through. Too much shit to go through, bro. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I can't wait for someday to not, to not be doing. I don't. I don't even know what I would want to do after this, because I've literally not. I know it's hard for people to think. I've literally not thought about what I'm going to do after this, like what job I'm going to hold or uh, anything. Part of the reason why, you know, um, I'm traveling so much. Um, and I, I, I don't, because it doesn't matter. Um, because nothing matters if we don't get this. It just doesn't. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm slowly burning through the, the little bit that we got off our house, you know, hoping that in the end, it'll, it'll work Support out. Support Rick's substacks, Rick's fails. Come on. <laughs> But you know what? I, I I don't think about him. I have no regrets. Um, I mean, do I wish things were happening in a different ways so it wasn't causing the pressure and strain? Yes, because it is causing stress and brain pressure and strain on my life. You know, my family is not super happy at the moment. Um. Well, I, I get it in the neck. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, I have it easy, bro. <laughs> well, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll go to Disney World or run for Congress or something. I don't know. I'm mostly just ready for a rest. Yeah. <laughs> ready for a break. <laughs> just chill out for a bit, right? <laughs> uh... I don't. I don't ever want to read another scientific paper ever again. 
Yeah, there comes a point, right, where you just it, it becomes sort of a, a nauseating. It's it's. Uh, I have the same issue just around the oh god to write something just as a I don't know just the effort that I've put in over my life of just churning through stuff, sending it out, getting it back, <laughs> just trying to play that stupid game of you know what I learned to realize was just a very very rotten. Um, system, right? And um, I, I don't, I don't feel the need to sort of want to go back to that. Don't <laughs> after, after this is done, I don't feel the need to want to go back to um, this state that we see. I don't. I don't, I don't know. I mean, after legitimately reading like three thousand papers. Um, no, I mean, I'm done. And what sucks is that I know that, that I'm going to keep doing it until, until we win. So, because while everybody has like, everybody keeps like stopping and like highlighting this idea that they have, what I've noticed is that most people don't keep researching. And so, like I made a conscious decision, even you know, even after Children's Health Defense, was like my job isn't done here, because the main thing that I wanted to do for them and for anybody else was to put this case together. So, um, and in the last three months, I've read more papers than I ever had before. Um, Shows, right? But this doesn't matter because we have to. We have. I keep finding new things, and so I'm not going to stop looking and that's what jc did that's what other people did they, they basically just stopped looking oh. because they found like their pet idea that they wanted to go forth and more more, more just trying to bend can't. data to what they what what they want it to be you're not letting the data speak and um right now the data the data's brought us to this point and if you if you're going off on stupid stupid tangents that uh, incidental to courts are not going to be fucking interested in exosomal properties at this at this state at this level where there's this ambiguity where we're constantly waiting on the next bit of technology to be able to sort of delve and tease what are academic questions down at that scale well, especially when we have other explanations and other pieces of evidence and yeah and so that was my point is to, to, i wanted to build such a massive amount of support for the conclusions that i made like okay well they they never left the fear and cleavage side in so what did i do i looked at 49 plus papers but i i mean i read 49 for sure, and put them in a list. And I read even more than that. And you know how long it took me to read forty-nine papers about <laughs> HIV vaccine construction <laughs> and and SARS vaccine construction. No, I didn't want to do that. Mm, yeah. It's Once again, I'm not a scientist, but you know what? I did read those papers, and because I read those papers, I know that what the DOE released today is kind of bullshit. What kind of this? <laughs> Because, because I know that they knew 
exactly what those epitopes were. Because they created the databases that were then used. I even know the names. Bet Corber at Los, Angeles, Los Alamos National Laboratories. Using, if I remember correctly, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the case, that they delve heavily into the database that was built by Carl Sorotkin. Not shit. <laughs> because that's what Carl did for 29 years right. working for the government. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no doubt that, yes, he understands that too. But you know what? It's not just enough to know that. We have to figure out what that means. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that... I'm, really, I'm trying to think about this. I want to say that all but like two or three, without a doubt, of those conclusions that that I've came to and that I've written down, they don't exist anywhere else. Okay. If I had not done that and then put those together, those simple statements would not exist in writing anywhere. And that's why I keep going, because that shouldn't be true, but it is true. And I hope that someday <laughs> people will understand uh, why I did that. Uh, well, if, if you don't understand, we don't need you. <laughs> we need to have some uh, some exclusivity. Uh, come on, Rixie. I can't just let any riffraff. I'm not sure what else I have to prove. I mean, I'm not a scientist, of course. So I guess that's the problem. Yeah. But, but that's true. And that's why I keep going, because, because I know that that's true. And it's terrifying. Just like, like if you hadn't... Like, I wouldn't even have thought about prions if you weren't there. And who knows... Like, the fact that Joanna did a bunch of this work three years ago and nobody knows, it's also a driving force for me because she deserves so much more recognition than she's gotten. Oh, that, so that. I think we've got a good crew. You know, even Andrew, you know, he's, he's a... He's, he's, a he's up for the fight, man. But good enough for, for me. <laughs> Let's go. He's willing to say something that nobody else is willing to say. Mm. And... Uh, if you don't think that he's been pressured, then you're wrong. You know. So as much as I, I mean, he can be unique, and his methods might be different, and there's might be gaps in some of his knowledge. But the truth of the matter is, is he's one of the only people that's been willing to stand up, knowing what he was going to face, and did it anyway. And so that's why I'm proud of our little cabal of <laughs> four or five people. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, I don't well, know. Say, I'm, it, I'm just proud of us. It, it, it's getting there, and um, you know, I guess eventually it'll get. I hope it gets big. Anyway, I really do. But we will win. I do agree with Andrew Huff in that. I do think we're going to win. Yeah, you don't. You don't, <laughs> don't get into a fight unless you think you're going to win, bro. <laughs> Well, obviously, I'm not stupid. <laughs> not a scientist, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> All right, dude. I've uh, got to pull the ripcord. I'm about to uh, 
I mean, I should have done it like an hour ago. I should mm-hmm. stop talking. But yeah. yeah. All right. So more traveling tomorrow. Yeah, I, I don't know if you want to do us if you. I may to... not be able to. I don't. And now that I think about, it, I probably won't be able to do anything tomorrow. Okay. Um, we can do. Soon. We can do one around HIV in the near future. Um, it's it's funny how it's so integral to this issue, right? <laughs> I I can probably talk about that a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Bring Nick in and. Uh... Have a, we let you just let you two uh, back and forth. <laughs> just I can bullshit about a lot of things at this point. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank thank the Lord that you can. All right, bro. I gotta I gotta hit the head. <laughs> I'll uh, <laughs> I'll catch you later, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you too, dude. Get some sleep. Thanks, everyone. All right, folks. Uh, there you go, <laughs> legend. All right, uh, I got I got get out of this chair. Um, take care, folks. I will see you in the next one. And uh, yeah, if someone's there, just would like to compress this down, would be great. Um, I got it. I just gotta dip out. Uh, take care. God bless. Thank you. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that all line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these peppers. I will fucking kill each fucking pepper. I swear. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually saying. But fuck these chapters. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever flows through my fucking blood, blood. Never. No. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking views and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. Oh, then, why? This guy. <laughs> 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 <laughs>